It's the Renegades Rant Podcast with your host, the Kentucky Renegade. This podcast is sponsored by Anchor. If you want to start your own podcast, go to anchor.fm or to your phone's app stores and download Anchor today. I want you to go and check out a really awesome small business. It's called Saints and Sinners Hat Company. It's ran by Michael Three Rows. It's family owned and operated. Now we all know how Three Rows operates on social media. He really is passionate about his message. And he's put a lot of love and passion into these hats he's making. He's got the pedophile hunter hat, come and take it hat, don't tread on me hat, the tinfoil hat, we the people hat. He's got a lot of really kick-ass designs on his webpage. Now, if you would, please go to saintsandsinnershatco.com. Check out all of his products. Let him know that the Kentucky Renegade sent you, and we support his business. Show, everyone. This is going to be a different kind of show. Usually, you guys hear me doing all the political aspects of things going on in the world. But I want to be able to stretch out my content and bring other factors that are going on in the world and and bring people on that will help us see and hear from both sides of the uh, things we're going through right now. And the sexual abuse, the human trafficking, the sexual trafficking and the survivors themselves and to have people on here that are making a difference. And the guest I'm going to have on today is, uh, he's got an awesome podcast. It's a man apart podcast. I highly suggest you go out and listen to his podcast. So I want to welcome J dog to the show. Welcome J dog. Thanks Patrick. I appreciate it, man. No problem. Uh, so yeah. So how, where you want me to start at brother? Well, let's, uh, let's dig into your, uh, back backstory on how you got involved in doing the the podcast and what why it took you to that direction okay well it was uh not really one thing in particular it was kind of like a domino effect of just many different things in my life i want to say so around last summer i started binging uh podcasts because what i do for a living is i'm a truck driver and I, I specifically work in the gas and oil industry and I deliver diesel exhaust fluid, you know, nothing too dangerous, really easy laid back kind of job, but you're driving all day long. And like a lot of truck drivers, it can get very boring if you're just, if you have nothing to listen to. So, you know, with Bluetooth technology being as it is, you get to listen to a lot of different things. I had a friend of mine who recommended I listen to a podcast called Real Life, Real Crime with Woody Overton. The reason why I wanted to listen to him is because he was a detective out here in the parish that I live in, in Livingston Parish. And it was a, a former cop who was just sharing his cop stories, his, his detective stories. And his first episode was about David Constance and his wife, Christina Constance. David Constance was a truck driver who was a pedophile who molested and raped kids for, I want to say, 25 years. They went as far back to that they could find out on. And, I mean, just a monster out here. Just a complete monster. He set the standard for monster in 2005 when they caught him. 
Wow. So that was, that was his first episode, right? I was hooked because it, it, it matched all the markers of making me want to be interested in that story. Um, you know, I, I have, I've always had a hatred for pedophiles because of what they do to the victims and everything like that as well. And, um, he was a truck driver. And so, and it happened right here in the parish I live in. So I, and for your listeners, that don't know in Louisiana, we don't have counties, we have parishes. So I, I live in Livingston Parish, Louisiana. So that happened. I started binging all these, uh, you know, all, all these different crimes that Woody Overton covered over the years. And along the way as well, there was reports in the news coming over last summer that you had kids dying from fentanyl overdose because of DCFS uh, lack of care. They're, um, well, I, I guess they're just incompetence more or less, because a lot of these cases were really severe and the fact that they really dropped the ball. Uh, you also had rape cases that happened as well under their watch. And I also heard reports that, you know, pedophiles ran rampant on TikTok. So when I went on TikTok, I started making anti-pedophile content on my previous channel. And once I heard the story of Ezekiel Harry, who was a little two-year-old, but a little two-year-old boy down in Homa, Louisiana, who was beat to death by his mama's boyfriend. Instead of the mother calling uh, the ambulance or calling the cops on the boyfriend, she decided to help her boyfriend stuff her her two-year-old lifeless, you know, child's body into a duffel bag. Walked around the streets of Homa, Louisiana, till they found a garbage can and threw that threw that baby away in the garbage can. That broke me. That broke me to the point where I said, you know, enough's enough. Um, I wanted to talk about these stories. I wanted to, you know, I had all this rage within me because th this hurt, you know, this, th these babies dying hurt me. And I wanted to do something positive with my rage. So I decided to start a podcast. Well, then my friend, then a friend of mine pulled me to the side after I'd done a few episodes and said, you know, you really have a chance and opportunity to reach out to survivors and to give them a voice. And then when I, when I started with my first interview, I had friends of mine come to me and former girlfriends of mine come to me who uh, were also survivors as well. And so that really pushed me to, you know, really seek out survivors to, you know, tell, you know, give them a safe place and a safe opportunity to share their experiences. And that's what I did. And it just, from there, it grew, uh, you know, I, I seen, and then I started looking up survivor stories on TikTok. I started meeting people who were, uh, anti-pedophile on TikTok as well and being part of their communities and growing with them. And I mean, hell, that's how I got to meet you. And I, uh, I just went from there. And nobody was there to really teach me. Nobody's been there to kind of mentor me or anything like that. You just have to, it's something that you have to really want to be a part of, really want to do to make a difference. And you got to learn as you go. And a phrase I used to tell people is just swing left and right until something hits. And this is what hit. And that's where I'm at now, you know, just growing and just sharing these stories with people. So the world knows that there is a problem. This, this is a deep problem that if you guys, if any of your audience members actually go and just do a modicum of research on, you'll see what I've seen so far. And I mean, the trauma world is a deep, dark rabbit hole 
and unfortunately a lot of it is true yeah and that's what i'm trying to do with this show is i'm going to expand my content yeah. for the simple fact that you know we have human trafficking and sex trafficking and you know labor trafficking it's all coming through that southern border and it's not being talked about that's the true pandemic to me is what's going on at our southern border and we have a lot of great groups that are out here that are trying to do you know great things we have change unchained that i've been supporting uh we want the names and we just need more and more awareness to be brought to this we need to be able to start pushing this back into our politicians face saying hey you know this is a problem we need to start having this scene and quit sweeping it under the rug yeah so to have your podcasts and other people that are doing the things they're doing i mean it's it's great to see and a lot of people don't realize you know COVID 19 that was the the year that the podcasters started coming out because you're locked up in your home for 24 7 yeah you know people started going to podcasting and i thought about it uh back then but I was working in a hospital, so I was considered essential. But, yeah. you know, I seen the lies through what was going on with COVID and it made me think about doing it. And then finally I started getting up enough courage. And when I was on TikTok, I reached out to uh, Lambo, who has a little extra Lambo podcast. And, okay. you know, he got me he got me involved in doing podcasting. So that's where I am with it. And. You know, now I, I meet up with you and I'm meeting up with all kinds of podcasters and people getting involved in stuff like this. And it, it's it would be a disservice for me not to use my podcast to bring people like you on. Yeah. And bring the attention and bring the awareness and to expose people to come take a look at your podcast and listen to the survivors and listen to the stories, because this is what's going on in this country. You know, I uh, also left out another part, too, and that was there was other podcasters out here in my area, and I wanted to go on their podcast, and I wanted to talk about these situations and what was going on, and that there was a big problem. You know, I get the kind of, I get these answers like, well, um, that's not something I really cover, or that's uh, something we could talk about later on and just kind of brush me off to the side, or that, hey, that's not something that you know, my, my advertisers would like, uh, covering these subjects. And I was actually told when I first started my podcast that I wasn't going to find anybody to advertise with me. And that, uh, because of the subject material that I cover, advertisers want to shy away from this subject. I told that person, I said, I don't give a shit. You know, uh, this is my labor of love. I don't make money from my podcast and it would be nice. And I don't, I don't, and I don't ever fault anybody that want that wants to make money with the work that they put into. I mean, obviously people should be paid for the time and the effort they put into things, but I knew going in, I wasn't going to make any money and I didn't see anybody around me wanting to cover this. So I said, fuck it. I'll do it. You know, I'm not perfect. I'm not the face of any revolution, but screw it. I, I if, if I can, if I can spark somebody's flame in their heart and it sparks off a revolution and a phenomenon, then, then, it was worth it. You know, if I could save one child, this is worth it. And so, you know, the Southern border is a big issue also. And what broke my heart the most was finding out was the church 
you know, finding finding thousands upon thousands of these stories of abuse from the churches. That broke my heart because I grew up in Christianity. I grew up in a Christianity that was I was safe from that type of, you know, from the, from those type of people. You know, people that wanted to prey on children and, and molest and rape kids and everything like that. I, I I didn't have that experience going you know growing up in a in a Christian environment. So it really broke my heart finding that out. Um, and I mean, there's just story after story after story. TikTok is just full of them. And I, I mean, I've covered a few of them. I've also there's things you'll learn when you go into this trauma world. And one of the things I learned from it was there was a thing called the troubled teen industry and the stories of abuse and trauma that came out of that. If you, if your listeners don't know what the troubled teen industry is, it is organizations that are in essence, we, we, we've heard of them. We just didn't know what they really were or they don't recognize it as easily. But like for instance, those camps that you send bad quote unquote, bad kids away to the uh, pray to gay the way camps. The wilderness, uh, wilderness uh, outdoor program camps, um, schools, boarding schools, military schools, all these different organizations. There is just a whole world within within that world of abuse stories that have come out. And I've covered a few. I've had a few interviews from different organizations that that, that these adults have been a part of, and what they've had to deal with since coming out of it decades later. I mean, the brutality the violence, the sexual assaults, the rapes, everything. And that's just one thing I learned. I learned about CPS corruption. I learned about court family court corruption. I learned about uh, I learned about about law enforcement corruption as far as there's, you know, stories of officers, police officers doing these heinous things and being part of some of these trafficking rings. It, it just when you scratch the surface, it just it goes deep. And I mean, it goes deep, deep, deep. And I tell anybody that wants to do this too, take your mental health days because this will wear you out. This will, this will take a toll on you. This will hurt your soul because it'll make, it'll just, it'll make you cry. And I've cried a lot of tears listening to these stories. Absolutely. I mean, I worked five and a half years in a uh, emergency room, so I've seen, seeing what people can do to to their own children to just someone else's children yeah those that come in and then you have to call in we have what's called the harbor house here and uh they come in and they they talk to the child victims and interview them about the things that happened to them and i mean just going through the patient charts and just reading the the things that have happened it's it's heartbreaking and it will weigh it uh weigh you down so yeah anybody getting into this rabbit hole and going down and seeing the things that are being done to children to women you know to to young men in this country is a travesty but it's something that needs to be exposed. And uh, like I said, we're thankful to have you to help do that. I, I appreciate that. I, didn't, I never thought that when I started this, that I would inspire people, that I would give people hope or that, you know, people would be this responsive to something that I'm doing. I really did not. I, I just took a step forward and kept making the next step and the next step and the next step. And that's all I've been doing. Uh, I've, but I have found so many wonderful individuals, especially off of TikTok. I mean, it, it's, it really is amazing how, how we can connect to each other so easily 
on that platform as opposed to other social media platforms. Uh, it, and it gave me hope because I felt like the reason why I named my podcast, a man apart, because I completely forgot about the Vin Diesel movie. Let, let, let's just get all that out of the way for the, for the <laughs> listeners and everything like that. Yeah. I, when I named it a man apart, I forgot about the, uh, the, the movie, uh, a man apart. I was actually going to name it a man, you know, man on fire because I, I think that had been more apt for how I feel about dealing with pedophiles and sex traffickers and everything like that. More like how, when Denzel Washington went on this, on this, uh, crash course through Mexico and everything. But I I said, you know, I'm I'm a man apart and I had to think about it. Why am I a man apart? I felt like I was a man apart from traditional thinking, from the way society wants to act from the way people want to do things. That's how I felt. And so I felt that would be something that would stand out and that would get people to look and listen because that's the whole point of this is to get them to listen. And I've had people come to me that just didn't, they didn't know about certain things like the TTI, for instance, I've had a lot of reception about that Um, because hell 35 years on this earth, I didn't know about it. And when I asked uh, a lady who's been co-hosting with me, Sabrina Young, I reached my hand out and said, Hey, I'm, you know, you want to be on my podcast? I'm here to help. She flung me into that world of, of survivors. And I met all these wonderful people from it. And so I ended up even uh, connecting with another podcast as well, who helps uh, survivors and victims too. Uh, surviving abuse with David Keck. He's a former rape survivor. And he went, he made it a mission to get other survivors on his podcast and to share their stories and share their healing journeys as well. And so in this war, and I call it a war, there are many different roles, many different battles to fight. And I, you know, while there's a, while there are a good number of warriors out there, there's still not enough because the cases don't stop every day. They constantly come in and come in and come in and you got to have the mindset that, yeah, it can be overwhelming, but nobody else is coming along to save the day. We are it. This is it. It's us and nobody else. And if you have that mindset, it will help you to keep pushing. It will help you to refocus what your mission is and to keep going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that, that's been the great thing about TikTok. Now, you know, we usually visit the same live time to time and yeah. it's awfully funny how in that live we have a lot of podcasters and we were kind of me and big dave were having a joke about that that we have so many different people who are from different aspects of podcasting that continue to come into that live and we're all sharing each other's content we're you know getting on each other's shows and this is just one way that we can propel ourselves to that next level to continue to put each other out there and make sure that people are being brought to this awareness of everybody's aspects on their, on their podcasts. Yeah. I, you know, the whole, the only thing that I haven't covered fully yet on my, or covered a lot of yet on my podcast is the the human trafficking, the sex trafficking aspect of it. I haven't been able just because of scheduling conflicts as well with a few people, I haven't really been able to, you know, get them on there to share their stories and everything like that. But I, but I mean, I'm, I'm still just starting out too. I've, hell, I started my podcast, uh, August, 2022. 
it's when I started. Right. And I had to learn, like a lot of us have to learn as podcasters, you know, you know, create a schedule, get, you know, get people on, on the podcast. If you're going to do interviews, find your topics, push it out there in the social media platforms, grow your audience, all that, all that grind jazz that everybody talks about. Right. And so, you know, there's, you, I'm doing all this as well as, you know, not only do I drive trucks for a living during the day, my wife and I own a dog daycare, doggy dog boarding business. And I try to help her out with it as much as possible. Try to, try to, uh, you know, be with my wife, you know, for our marriage and everything like that as well. And try to do this on top of it. So I stay busy and I stay constantly busy and people look at me like, man, what do you have? When do you have time for any of this? I'm like, well, look, you know, I don't, I try not to tell anybody I don't have time for them or that I try not to say I don't have time for something. What I, what I've done now mentally is I don't say I don't have time for it. I just say, you know, it's not important. And then I, then I see how that makes me feel. right? Right. So if there's something that you're passionate about, don't ever say you don't have time for it. Just say it's not important to you. And then that will change your mindset. No, I agree with that. I mean, yeah. I mean, just being into the podcast, I'm I'm new at this as well. I just started mine at the end of November of last year, and yeah, you know, I've just kind of slowly developed myself into this. You know, I got great advice about you know I'm always looking for constructive criticism on how I can make my show better. Yeah, and the the biggest uh constructive criticism i was just told is be yourself and grow into it yeah you know as long as you just hit if you just hit one person you know you woke somebody up to something so just to keep doing it keep going at it keep you know bringing on guests and and doing things like that and just stay consistent with your content and you know expand your content on top of it so you know, that's going to be the direction I go this year. Eventually, I would like to go to video on my podcast. But just right now, I'm just trying to make sure I get uh, guests that are very important to me and important to the things I'm seeing that's going on in the world. Yeah, that, that's why I reached out to you, because, I mean, I've listened to your podcast for about a couple months now because I came oh, across wow. you. I came across to you a couple months ago. I've seen you. Uh, I think I've seen you in somebody's live. I can't remember who it was. And you're talking about your podcast. I was like, well, shit, I got to check that out because I listened to truth and justice uh, with Bob, Ruff, Bob Ruff. And okay. I'm, I'm huge in the truth uh, to crime and, and stuff like that. So I was like, shit, I'm going to have to check him out. And so I started following you and, you know, listening to your podcast. So, you know, it was important for me to reach out and to to have you on the show. So I'm glad you came on, and uh, yeah. you know, I, and we're able to kind of work together and and put this out here. Oh yeah, man, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate everybody that listens to it. I um, I've had I've had a lot of I've had episodes that were really that were good, and I had episodes that broke my heart. A lot of them break my heart though, especially my interviews. Um, they do take a, a there's some of them that just took a big toll on me and it's right when I first started too. I'll um I'll share a couple of stories that I, that some listeners will can so they can understand what I'm talking about. Uh I did three episodes on one particular case and it was titled Living with My Monster. 
and it was three different ladies I interviewed. It was about a pedophile that, that was killed by James Fairbanks in Omaha, Nebraska. The pedophile's name was Matteo Condolucci. Uh, fun fact about him, he was actually a poster boy for Narsal, which Narsal is an organization that wants to take down the sex offender registry. Yeah. For all, you li- for all the listeners out there, I hope that boils your blood like it boiled mine. There's a group of people that want to take down the sex offender registry. I found them on YouTube uh, through researching the Jeremy and Christina Moody case. And I went on their, on their channel, and they have a podcast as well. And they do interviews with sex offenders. The, the, the level of mental gymnastics that they have to run, the narcissism, the, I mean, the woe is me, my life on the, on the registry with no apology, no regret, no sympathy for what they've done to their, their victims. That pissed me off. I mean, I was, I was fucking mad. I mean, I just enraged at that. And then come to find out, uh, there's a, there's a content creator on TikTok, Clumsy Gemini. She did a story shortly after I did one as well. And she, but she did a lot, she did her homework. She did a lot better research than I do. And I look, I let everybody know I'm not the world's best researcher. I'm the world's best podcaster. There's people that probably have a better big brain explanation on things than I do. I just come with passion and heart. She found out that two of the people on that chair, on that, on that board of Narsal were convicted sex offenders against children. One of them was a single digit age child. The other one was 11 year old. Wow. Yeah. So these people want to take down the sex offender registry. They used Matteo Condolucci's death as a um, basically saying this is vigilante justice. What happened was, was James Fairbanks was a teacher who was going through a divorce, has two sons. He was looking for an apartment. And so before he go before he'd go and pick an, an apartment to go rent and everything like that, he looked at the sex offender registry. Matteo Condolucci was two blocks away from the place he was going to rent. So like any concerned parent, he goes and he just kind of drives through the neighborhood and he, and he just wanted to go do a quick drive, you know, drive through and just see for a second and make sure it looks safe and everything like that. Just so happened when Matteo's house is on an intersection, he goes to the stop sign. He sees Matteo out there at his house. He's outside pretending to wash his car. The reason why he said that he knew he was pretending to wash his car no soap, no water, just a rag in a bucket, wiping down a car that he had. And he was just glaring. I mean, eyes locked in on these kids across the street from him. Just like, like as if he, like a, like a wolf looking at a piece of meat. Mm-hmm. And then he saw that his backyard had no fence with a playground set in the back. So he, he wanted to look up about Matteo Conalucci. Found out that this guy was, um, he only went to prison for a year. For one of his victims and he was an ordained minister online he ran a domestic violence shelter for single women and their children so he had easy access to his prey through that he also ran a charity where a nonprofit where he would get book sacks fill them up with toys and clothes and shit like that for kids and then give them out to kids in his neighborhood he lived like i think two or three blocks away from a school as well how he was able to, I don't know, but I know there was like two churches. When I Googled it, there was like two churches within two blocks of him, a school not too far away from him, within walking distance of his house. Like 
he was in a prime location. So James was really troubled by that because James also worked with kids who were sexually abused and traumatized. And when he, when, when he stopped being a teacher at three o'clock, he worked, I think like in an organization that helped kids who were sexually abused. So he knew what to look for. He knew the, he knew the red flags to look for. And he saw a bunch of red flags in Mateo goes over to Mateo's house the next day. Cause he couldn't even sleep. He goes and knocks on Mateo's door and he says, Hey, I know what you are. I know what you're doing and I'm going to be moving in this neighborhood and I'm going to be keeping an eye on you. Mateo didn't like that. Mateo Condolucci was a very violent and brutal man. And he was the type of man that wasn't going to be told what to fucking do. So he bum rushed, uh, James, James was thankfully carrying a piece on him and shot Mateo. So Mateo went back to his house and bled out James in shock, very traumatized from what he did. Instead of staying there, he ran. That's the only thing I think that where James fucked up on was that he ran. Um, and here's the thing. He could have gotten away with it, but he wanted to take responsibility for what he did. Cops were looking for, were investigating this murder. So he goes and he, I think he emailed the, the police station and the news agencies and told them, Hey, I did it. This is me. And I can tell you how I did it. Cause this is what, this is not what they put in the newspapers tell me I'm lying. They saw that he was telling the truth, took him in for questioning. He went on a, um, a polygraph test. He passed it for uh, self-defense. Like he was telling the truth. They would not submit that in court because polygraphs usually aren't submitted in the court. And there was a bunch of other things that happened with the case. Basically they steamrolled James and they gave, they threw the, they, they shafted him. They threw the book at him. Mateo sure. had 50, Mateo had 52 victims in his lifetime. His daughter, Amanda, was one I, I interviewed. His niece, Monica David, was another one. And uh, an ex-girlfriend of his that her son he molested was the reason why he went to jail for a year. The reason why Mateo got away with it for so long, too, was because he was a snitch for the DEA. And he would go and snitch out motorcycle gangs. And he moved around a lot. He went from California to Florida and everywhere in between. And right before James shot him, he was actually, they found on his computer that he was looking up states that didn't require you to register as a sex offender. And he was looking up Nevada. He was going to be moving out there eventually. So James uh, probably saved a lot of children that were going to be wherever this monster was going to live at. But that's the people, but, but that's the person, Matteo Conalucci is the person that Narsal wanted to prop up on. And say, hey, this is a poster boy. This is the reason why we have to take down the sex offender registry. And I'm like, no, fuck that. Monsters like him need to be locked up for more than just one year for one victim. But because our government wanted to keep uh, keep somebody just snitching on on the on motorcycle gangs, they would drop his cases. He would have case after case dropped. Uh, he even offered his daughter up to uh, one of the gangs when they found out he was a snitch and a pedophile. He said, you can have my daughter, just don't take my bike. So that's the type of man, you know, a quote-unquote man Matteo Condolucci was. Wow. That Those three interviews really broke my heart. And um, I still stay in contact with Amanda and with Monica, even after, you know, all that time and everything like that. And Monica, I really do talk to on a regular basis. These are all very sweet ladies. And they um, they didn't deserve to go through what they went through because they were children. They were like between the ages of six to 14. 
when they went through the Okay, everyone. So I wanted to take a little bit of time away from my podcast to bring an awareness to the real pandemic that's going on in this country. Human trafficking. Now, everyone knows that the border is a crisis right now. And this is one of the things that happens with a open border is we're seeing a lot of human trafficking coming in and out of this country. So you see $150 billion in illegal profits per year. 4.8 million people trafficked for forced sexual exploitations. You also have 71% of those being women and girls. 0.04% of the survivors of human trafficking cases are identified. Now, there's an amazing nonprofit organization. They're a 501c3. The name is Change Unchained. You can go to changeunchained.com and it gives their backstory and what they're about. Now, this is ran by Troy and Tiffany. And Troy is a U.S. Navy chief petty officer. And him and his wife, they go out and they do the search and rescue operations. And then they also do the aftercare for the survivors. They have a ranch called the Burn It Down Ranch where they build tiny homes. And the survivors get to come back and they'll live in these tiny homes and they will receive their aftercare. So they are in need of help getting some donations. They have a merch link on their website, so you can go on their website and buy their merch, and all that profit goes towards the tiny homes and the aftercare for those survivors. So if you would, please go and check out changeunchained.com. Thank you. These things. So yeah, that was the hardest ones I did. Um, there are also some good, good interviews I've done as well. Like Gabrielle from the Wolf Project. A lot of people don't know her, her first name. They know her by the original Reaper zero zero on TikTok. I, I don't, I don't even know how I found Gabby. I, I, somebody told me about her, but I forgot. I think I, I, think I found her through, I think it was you that pointed me to her yeah. and to, uh, I think a person by BG. Yeah, RB, something like that. And I really got to looking into their stories and they were really interesting. But yeah, uh, I just lost my train of thought. I was going to say, but about finding her. Yeah, about finding her, Uh, you know, and I've I've watched her content and man, it's just, you know, the things that she talks about. It's it's really opened my eyes as some of the things, you know, and I've seen quite a bit of stuff and and. you know, read and, and seen the things I've seen, but nothing compared to what, what she speaks about. And it's really opened my eyes as well. Yeah. I know. So when I first introduced myself to her and we, we started becoming mutuals and talking on, on mess through messages on TikTok, I asked her like, so how'd you get started in this? And I remember it was the most off the wall thing I've ever heard in my life because I had to do a double take and reread it a couple of times before I responded to her. But I was like, well, just tell me a little bit about yourself and everything. And then we, I know I got her on the phone. That's what happened. I got her on the phone and we started talking. She's like, well, um, I started having, uh, uh, 
revelations, visions of people being, you know, either raped, murdered, tortured. Uh, and that, those are the bad ones. But she also had visions of like people becoming pregnant and having, you know, like she could uh, name the boy or the girl even on some, on some cases, I mean, uh, some good things were happening and everything like that. So she was like, and she was going to a mega church and she started telling people like, yeah, you know, you're about to be pregnant with a, with a girl. And sure enough, uh, like there was this woman that was hiding her pregnancy and everything like that. And she wasn't about to tell everybody just yet. And she was like, how'd you, you know, she's like, how the hell, you know, she's like, I, I just, I, it's a vision I had. And once it started getting real for like the people, at the, for the leadership at the church and they started realizing that this was real and this wasn't somebody that they can control. They started defaming her, started saying it. Well, the reason why she's seen all these visions is because her grandparents were in the occult and everything like that. And that she's actually a witch and this, that, and the other, this was a woman that a young woman that wanted to serve Jesus and wanted to be an instrument of light. Right. And the church did not understand fully what she was going through. She didn't, she, hell, she didn't understand what she was fully going through. When she had her first vision, her body shut down on her. Like she was like, they had to break down her door at her, at her door, at her dorm in college because they didn't hear from her for like two days. And they were like, what the fuck is going on, Gabby? And she started telling them. And then they, and, and so I even asked her, I said, well, you know, did you get, you know, cat scan? Did you go through, you know, any type of, you know, seeking out any kind of like scientific answers to your questions. And she did because she thought she was going crazy. She thought she was going schizophrenic. And it came to find out, no, she's not. That, that this was real to her and that the best way I describe her is a Christian mystic. And so when you look up mysticism, it's not really an evil thing. They, they have a spectrum to it. Like a lot of different other things have spectrums, right? So. Right. Um, there's an evil side to it and there's a good side to it. And there is a thing called Christian mysticism. And that's what Gabby is, is a Christian mystic. And so she, while she's grounded on, on this earth and everything, she has a connection to the ethereal. She has a connection to the spiritual world. And she uses those talents and gifts that she, that's given to her to connect to it, to help find, to help find pedophiles online. And to bring them to justice and everything. That's why she created the Wolf Project because she was almost she was actually a, a was going to be a victim of trafficking as well. Luckily, her parents, you know, started you know got into her phone and saw what was going on and put a you know put an end to that really quickly. And she was thankful, but she had friends that weren't and that they did get raped and things of that sort of nature. So it emboldened her once she started having these visions as well that she that she wanted to do something good for the world. Kind of like how I got sick of seeing these stories and seeing these babies being hurt. And so she started the Wolf Project. You know, they work in conjunction with law enforcement to find, to gather evidence online from uh, pedophiles. And the evidence they gather, give it to the police, for, you know, police department so they can go out and get convictions and make arrests and everything like that and put these, you know, put charges and put these monsters behind bars. Unfortunately, you know, with the way our laws are, where judicial system is you can't put them away forever but if you can at least get them on the registry at least get them you know labeled and everything and say hey this is what they're doing more people can look out for their kids instead of having these monsters kind of lurk in the shadows and be uh, you know unassuming so i I'm, i love i love doing that interview with her in fact i had to go do a part two because after i did my interview with her she came out with even more stuff about her story about like her father trying to kill her 
And so, like, I called her when I, when I saw the video on TikTok, and I'm like, girl, what the fuck, you know? <laughs> well, what's going on with this? She's like, I know, I just, I, I, I meant to share it with you, but I said, that's fine, that's fine. Are you okay? You need a place to stay? Like, I, I, I was like, look, you know, you come hot out down here in Louisiana, ain't nobody gonna come mess with you. She was girl, we all armed down here, you know, ain't nobody gonna come uh, f- fucking with you down here. She's like, no, it's fine, I'm good, I'm safe for a minute. I said, all right, well, you always got, you know, you always got a place in my home. And she was very thankful for that. But, that, you know, it's it's building a relationship with people, too, that I've interviewed as well has been a very rewarding thing, too. You know, I've um, since I've started doing these interviews, so I started reaching out to survivors. And there's a lot of a lot of stories that I have that I have not shared on my on my podcast just because some people just aren't ready to, to put themselves out there to the world like that. Right. Right. Um, and I understand that and I'm there for the people. Some some people are just bound up by legal cases where they're just waiting for the the the, the courts to finish their case so they can actually share their story. And some people just I you know, I just need somebody to talk to. And so I said, Well, that's more than perfect. That's perfectly fine with me. You know, if if, if you want somebody to believe you and hear you, you know, look, I see you, I love you, I'm there for you. And so it was just it, it's my empathy and my compassion for survivors grew when I started this what I call labor of love. And it's a journey, man. This is a journey that will teach you things and will, will, it's hard to describe. It's hard to quantify the feeling of this. Yeah. But I'm sure it's something that just overwhelms you with, you know, compassion and just brings you to a different, I don't know if you want to say it's a, a different part of your life but it's just something that you will end up growing into because of the things that you're going to hear you're going to you're going to experience through someone else yeah makes sense that does make a lot of sense i i tell people the rage i feel comes from a broken heart from hearing these stories the reason why my heart is broken is because i got to live my life without going through these things, I got to live relatively safe and these individuals didn't. And the thing that breaks my heart the most is that I can't hug them and soak up their pain. You know, a lot of these survivors, male and female, both, they grow up with nightmares, anxiety, with depression, suicidal tendencies, um, drug addiction, prostitution, uh, a slew of different mental health disorders that they get from it. And a lot of them never got believed. Right. Nobody would listen. Nobody would listen to them. I think that was the biggest thing that hurt them more than anything else is that people would shame them and, and, and push them aside and tell them to shut up and why you dwell on the past and everything like that. You know, you need to focus on the future and everything, you know, sweep it under the rug. Me, fuck that sweep it under the rug bullshit. Burn the fucking rug is how I feel about it. All right. And I tell anybody, because I've had to tell people this personally in my life and publicly on Facebook as well. If you don't like what I talk about, you can go suck a fat one. All right. Because I'm here for the survivors. Flat out, point blank. I know it sounds rude and crude and crass and everything like that. But you know what? I tell anybody that if you've heard enough story, if you've heard the go hear this, go hear the stories I've heard and then come back and tell me the same shit you were just trying to tell me then we can talk and have a discussion. Absolutely. You know, and that, 
And that's how I feel about it. I'm that adamant. Um, I've been called overzealous, ultra violent. I've been called crazy. I've been called a lot of different things personally by people around me in my life because I, you know, they just don't seem to understand. They don't get the picture because they're not listening to these stories. And I, I, and I don't know how many of my interviews or episodes you've listened to and everything like that, but I mean, tell me the first one you, you listened to, if you, if you can remember which one it was. No, I can't. It was two, about two months ago. Uh, I want to say it was about the wolf, the wolf pack. Oh, the wolf project? Yeah, the, yeah, the wolf uh, project. Okay, I yeah. I that might have been the one of the first ones I listened to. Yeah. Because I kind of worked backwards with with your podcast because, you know, once I found you, I listened, like, to the very – first episode that was up on the you know that was your first one that was uh, yeah when i heard you and then i had to work backwards from that one yeah i know the, the one thing i don't like about spotify and I, look i love spotify spotify's listening i love your platform the only thing the only constructive criticism i would give spotify is the ability to take our oldest episodes and put them up first and let people work their way down. But I get it. You know, you, the newest episode comes to the top. If you want to hear the first episode, you got to go all the way down to the bottom and listen to them. Yeah. Um, and I actually did my first episode. I had to unpublish it. My wife listened to it and she said, Hey, I think you need to talk about this, this, and this. And she gave me some constructive criticism. A lot of people in my personal life don't like it because of my profanity. As I think probably a lot of your follow your listeners probably would, would not like my profanity on there. It is, and look, I give trigger warnings. I, I I have an opinion piece warning and I have a trigger piece warning as well on there. And I let people know it's going to be some heavy subjects. It's going to be a lot of profanity. It's going to be a lot of heightened emotional uh, speech on there as well because this is a very uh, emotional subject for a lot of people. And I do. There, there are some stories solo, like I call them solo episodes, where I just talk about certain cases. I get very amped up. I get very mad. I get very loud and vocal because it does boil my blood. And there's some where I'm very calm and quiet, like right now. And I, I, I try to explain what I know and what I've learned from certain situations and different stories. I, I got to say though, my favorite, my, like my favorite interview to do was the Wolf Project one because I, it was very interesting. Her story, it was very interesting how she got started and what she's doing, and the fact that Gabby is 25 years old really blew my mind on that one. Um, that she's so young, got her life so far ahead of her, and that she's got—I mean, she's got life by by the balls, better than any of us probably have at the age of 25. Um, and the fact that. A fun fact about her, I'll tell y'all. She didn't even know she didn't even know who the hell Chris Hansen was. All right. <laughs> if you want to feel if you want to feel old, ask a young person about who. You know, ask a young person who Chris Hansen is, and they're gonna be like, "Who? Huh?" And these and and these are young people that would be involved in this catch a predator style type of work. You know, find them online and everything like that. I, I mean, he was the, he's the goat. You know, he's the legend. He's the one that started a lot of uh, pedophile hunting for us online. And I give credit where it's credit due. And she didn't even know. And I was like, girl, you got to go look that up. I mean, this man is legendary. But, uh, yeah, that was just one of my little fun facts about her on that one. But I love her to death. And I, I just I call her my little sister, too. But, <laughs> uh, I mean, and then, of course, recently, like you probably saw, and like I've, I was I was kind of excited about it because I, I never had a video go viral before. Like I've had. 
uh, I've had few videos maybe go up into the, you know, like the 50,000 view range and things like that. I think maybe one time I had a video go up 150,000 views. And I'm like, holy shit, this is awesome. I did a video that I made about Marianne Bachmeyer and I actually made an episode about it because so many people were wanting me to do an episode on her. I just dropped that uh, this Friday to, or uh, a couple days before, before I came on this podcast um brought that up because I was, that was on my uh, notes to bring that up because i watched the video you put out on tiktok and you know i didn't know about this until you put it up there and i, I went back and i've kind of done a little bit of research on it and it's a very very interesting uh i, I applaud that woman <laughs> yeah I, a lot of people did i i it gave me a lot of joy and comfort knowing that there's a lot of parents and a lot of people out there that, that said like she did nothing wrong. And it's true because when you actually go and research who Klaus Grabowski was, which is the man that she shot. So to give all your listeners context, I made a video about Marianne Bachmeyer for those that were, you know, around in the eighties and everything like that. She's basically Germany's female Gary Ploche. If you don't know who Gary Ploche is, you must not be from Baton Rouge and you, or you must not be that, or you must be very young. That's all I can tell you. Go Google. It's a wonderful tool. Uh, you won't, you, you will be very impressed by these two individuals. So Marianne, uh, had a child named Anna. She, uh, which Anna got kidnapped, raped and killed by Klaus Grabowski. Klaus Grabowski was a two time, I think a twice convicted, uh, pedophile. And he underwent, uh, chemical castration before he got let out of prison. He was a local butcher in this town. I think it was called Luden uh, in Germany, in West Germany. And so he underwent chemical chemical castration. Well, then he went secretly and took the took pills to reverse his chemical castration. He had a fiance, local butcher in town. Marianne was a bartender because she was a single mother. When she got pregnant with Anna, her husband didn't want children. So instead of giving Anna up for adoption, which she already did with two previous children when she was 16 and 18, she wanted to keep Anna. So she divorced her husband, became a single mother in the 70s. Not an easy task at all. Um, Anna went and had an argument with her mother that day, and she skipped school. Klaus saw her, kidnapped her, raped her, and then put her body in a box and dumped it on the shore of a canal somewhere. The only reason the cops even knew to go look for Klaus and everything like that is because somehow his fiance found out about it. Went, went and told the cops. They got him arrested. I think about a year later, he goes on trial, and it's the third day of his trial. Klaus confessed to the police that he killed Anna. And his reasoning, which is such garbage, bullshit-ass reasoning, was that Anna was trying to extort Klaus Grabowski uh, out of money and saying that if you don't give me money, I'm going to tell my mother that you raped me. So that's why he had to kill her. A seven-year-old, y'all. A fucking seven-year-old. Told, you know, knows how to extort a 30-something-year-old butcher. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you know what? If that's the case, then I'm a Chinese fighter pilot, okay? <laughs> no. Nah. So, uh, no. Um. Nobody really believed that bullshit ass story. Marianne being a, you know, being single and the, the one child she did keep, you know, gets raped, kidnapped and murdered and everything like that. Um, she lost everything. And part of 
you know, she had nothing. She lost everything because of him. And so she didn't want another parent to feel the way she felt. So she smuggled a Beretta, a 22 caliber Beretta into the courtroom. And this was before they had metal detectors and, and courthouses and stuff like that. Y'all, this was like 1981. All right. So don't, you know, there's not five or six sheriff's deputies sitting at, you know, sitting at the front of the courthouse waiting to make, you know, wait, you know, waiting to take away your corkscrews and any kind of other items and keys and shit like that from you that could be potential weapons. There's none of that shit there. You just walked in and try to go find your courtroom. And that was it. She walks into the courtrooms, third day of his trial and shoots six uh, out of seven bullets in the back of uh, Klaus Grabowski. Mother of the fucking century. All right. That's just what they, that, you know, the same, and I see the same reactions whenever I uh, would post stories about, uh, or when I saw videos about Jason Vokovich, the Alaskan Avenger, or when I saw stories about um, James Fairbanks, like when I posted videos about James or Christopher Bennett or Crystal Kaiser or Piper Lewis or any of these other individuals, uh, heroes, you know, that's what I called them. And it's what a lot of people called them too. Like, I mean, I saw, and when that video went viral, it blew my mind because this is how, this is how it went down. I almost didn't make that video either, Patrick. And I went, it was like a Saturday night around midnight. So Sunday morning, I go crawl up in bed and I remember this story and I remember somebody sending it to me and I always wanted to make a video on it. And I said, well, let me make a video tonight about it. So I go, I find the footage. I go and edit it out and everything like that and do all my little, you know, my little cap cut magic to it and everything, put it on TikTok and I go to bed. I wake up six o'clock Sunday morning, 10,000 views. I'm like, Shit, that did pretty good. Then uh, me and my wife get ready. We go uh, to go eat at Frank's in Baton Rouge out here, and uh, it's a nice little breakfast joint with her uh, with her mom and dad. As we are pulling out the driveway, sixty thousand views. I'm like, holy shit! And because my my notifications were going off like crazy, and I had to go turn off my notifications because just every couple of seconds, my phone was just like ding, 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 ding. I just had to turn that shit off. We get over to the restaurant. It gets up to like almost 200,000 views by within a 20 minute drive. I'm like, whoa, okay, this is going pretty good. Seeing all the comments and everything like that. I'm trying to respond to them while, while my wife's driving and everything. We go eat breakfast and then we get back to the house. It's like 500,000 views already. I'm like, oh shit, this is going to get viral. And then for the rest of Sunday and Monday, it just went apeshit on the algorithm. I mean, people were duetting it. They were, uh, commenting. I mean, I think I got on my, on my follower count on TikTok. I I gained like 3000 followers just from that one video. And I've never, I never had a video go viral like that before. I I mean, it was like, part of me was just like, wow, this is amazing. Then I had about like two dozen people come to me and was like, or messaging me and, and, or even in the comments as well. Are you going to do an episode on this? And, Mm -hmm. I was like, well, shit, yeah. Why well, don't go ahead and do an episode on this? And I'm, because I wanted to anyway. I was going to eventually in the future. And I said, why not? And then, bam, you know, I did some research, looked into it, did my, uh, did my episode on it and everything like that. And I covered a lot of the facts that kind of what y'all heard just now about it. But then I also go into the emotionality part of it as well, what she felt, what it, you know, how hopeless sometimes it is with the, with our justice system and why people, go the route they go with vigilanteism. 
and for anybody that thinks that vigilanteism is wrong, I I would dare say that you have not been screwed over by our, by a judicial system. Then, you know, because sure. it, it's it's heartbreaking some of the stories that I hear because a lot of victims, a lot of survivors, they don't get justice. And no, this woman lost everything. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Pat. As a, uh, absolutely not. I mean, the, the judicial system is so broken in this country and it favors the, uh, the ones who are doing the crimes versus, you know, helping the victims and it, it gets overwhelming and I can see why those people do what they do. And yeah. to be honest, if you're a pedophile and you're doing these things to kids, you deserve death anyways. And I think it should be allowed by the parents to do what they want to do to that person that did that to their, their kids. Somebody made that comment on my video and it got like 11,000 likes that uh, parents should be allowed to do this legally. Well, there is a country I can't remember uh, is I want to say it was somewhere over in Southeast Asia. It might've been Thailand, but their kid was molested and they allowed the father to perform whatever uh, justice they wanted to on him, And he ended up killing them. Oh, that's awesome. And they allowed it. And I was like, why can't we have this in this country? We used to, we used to be able to like shit, man. If you go back and look a hundred years ago, uh, we used to hang people for fucking stealing. Right. All right. I mean, we, we used to do that type of shit back in the day. And then, it became cruel and unusual punishment. And then uh, it became about human rights issues as well. And so it evolved from that or devolved from that. I, I would say, look, I know that our prison system is fucked up as well. Uh, believe it or not, I know that's a harsh thing for some people to hear uh, coming, especially coming from me. They're, like the, a lot of people still think that convicts, will take care of the problem when, when they go to print, when these pedophiles go to prison. No, they create fucking minimum security camps for these, in, for these sick assholes. And there's even a prison guard that's on TikTok, I think, or a former prison guard, a guy named old foul dude. And I remember him telling me this and it, our son, our saw it from a video of his, he had to watch over sex offenders as well as a prison guard. And it sickened him every fucking day. And one t- and there was this one time where it just really made him break down he was uh, passing. He was walking a tier or something like that. And he was walking a cell block or whatever, and they had uh, a group of uh, guys doing a Bible study. They were all sex offenders. They were all pedophiles, and one of them was uh, a grandfather. And he said he referred to his five grandchildren as his little sex angels. Oh, yeah, and he was the one leading the fucking Bible meeting. So. For those of y'all that are of the Christian mindset that, you know, there's forgiveness and redemption for these people, um, you might, well, I, I do believe that God can redeem people and, and they can be saved to the blood of Christ and everything like that. I do not want these individuals in churches at all near children. Like, and people think that's harsh for me to say that, but think of it like this. You don't put heroin in front of a heroin addict. You don't put children in front of a pedophile. Okay, that is a recipe for disaster, flat out, point blank. And with the thou, I mean, everybody's and there's people, you know, like so. I don't get political, 
And, you know, me, I'm kind of a, of a centrist political mindset, right? I see, I see the, 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 the grievances from both sides of the political spectrum. I see the pros and cons from both sides of the political, political spectrum. If people on the right would be just as worried as they are about the, about the, about the drag shows and things of that sort of nature, as much as they would be about the churches, I think the churches would have a whole hell of a lot less abuse stories coming out of them. Okay, not to say that they're that they don't have any merit in 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 protecting kids when it comes to the drag show issue and everything like that. But the church, I'm gonna tell you, I can find about a dozen stories of of drag show, you know, child sex abuse. I find thousands upon thousands of stories of church sex abuse, and the reason is is because Christianity is very open and willing to accept anybody and everybody into it. These pedophiles know this. They know that they'll be accepting the churches. Hell, if you go listen to the Narsal interviews, some of these people get their old careers back because a church hired them. You know, like one guy was a was a social media, um, what you call uh, marketing expert, and he did he did a lot of marketing, social media, and things that sort of nature. He was able to get his old career back after he got out of prison because this church hired him to go do so. So when you hear stories like this, when you see that there's people like church leaders and things of that sort in power, that's why I go so hard on the church because I grew up in Christianity and it breaks my heart to see it become this place where it's not even safe for kids anymore. Yeah. Like that's supposed to be a refuge. That's supposed to be a safe place for survivors as well. And when people say, well, how can you sit there and judge them? I can judge them on the scars that they left their survivors. That's how I judge them. You can call me a fake Christian all you want, all the live long day. Even Jesus said, those who cause these little ones to stumble, it's better for them to tie a millstone around their neck and throw themselves into the sea. So you don't like what I got to say? Go take it up with the big man who died for all our sins, I guess. So I'm sorry. That was my little soapbox. Sorry. (laughs) You're good. Uh, So talking about the churches, did you ever see the documentary on uh, HBO, the Mia Copa Maxima documentary about the school of the deaf? No, I have not. Please go watch that. uh, What what it is, I'll give you kind of the backstory of it, is a uh, priest up in uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He had a school of the deaf. And there were 255 boys that were at this school and he was molesting them and they were deaf. So they know they had no resources to get help. Right. So a couple of them escaped, went to the police department there in Milwaukee. And it just shows how deep the corruption is. The police just brought them back to the to the school of the deaf and they still continue to get molested. Yeah. Well, eventually, as they got older, they got out and then they started to get together and they want to file a lawsuit against the, the Catholic Church and against that church and against that priest. Well, of course, the Vatican catches wind of it, and at this time, Pope John Paul II was the Pope, and you had uh, uh, Pope Benedict was the legal advisor for the Vatican at the time. Well, he was just hiding the cases, so he directed that this priest go into hiding, 
they took him and put him in. There's an island up there in Ireland, and it's known for all the bad priests that are throughout the world that are involved in Catholicism, and they hide them there, and they retire oh, wow. to it. Well, these these kids, they got an investigator to go, and they researched, and they found where he was. So, you know, they went and they tried to confront him. And, you know, of course, I didn't get any kind of traction with it. But what I was going with the story with this is Pope Benedict was the active pope during this uh, release of this documentary. Oh, wow. Shortly after it was released, he resigned. And it was because they were exposing him for the thousands of cases that he hid, you know, and swept under the rug. So it's a very excellent uh, documentary. It's called Mia Maxima Copa School of the okay. Deaf. So it, it, go check it out. It's it's a really great document. It's very sad, but I mean, it just exposes what you're saying. I mean, yeah. these churches. I mean, the Vatican's the worst. I agree. Yeah, that, yeah, the, yeah. They are the the uh, Catholicism is the worst. Like has a, a lot of cases in it, um, and then the Baptist fundamentalists as well. Uh, and in fact, recently you might have seen it flow on TikTok. Uh, they had a convention where they showed where they talked about seven seven hundred cases over twenty years that got swept on the rug. Um, they, I mean, it because it, it ain't just one denomination of Christianity. There, it's in all of them. Yep. And it, it is scary as fuck, man. I mean, like, I, I, because I've uncovered a lot, because I've researched some of these stories and everything like that and seen so many of them now, I don't even want to bring, like, I don't want to bring my, if I, when, when I do have kids, I don't want to bring any of my children to church because of this. Because, and I'll tell you, um, I have a personal story with it. I, and I have to be careful in how I talk about it because of the people who are, going who go to this church so when i was doing research of sex offenders around me right um there was one really bad case he was a tier three and for those of y'all that don't know on the sex offender registry you have th- three different tiers tier one is usually for people with like um they're all heinous but at the same time there's varying degrees so normally like possession of child pornography will probably be a tier one individual um it's it's or soliciting a minor uh through online and everything like that that's usually like tier one sex offenders those are people that have not harmed a child per se yet um you know and that's where they go on that first tier tier two is where uh there's cases where they get a little more severe where they do touch a child but have not raped a child tier three is usually child rape uh abuse torture that type of thing this guy was an incest pedophile. He raped m- repeatedly for years. I think it was either his granddaughter or a niece, somebody in his family. And so he fled and went to California back in 2007. Well, they caught him, extradited his ass back over here to Livingston Parish. He served 15 years in prison or close to 15 years in prison. He got released in 20, yeah, in 2022, last year, a year ago. He shows up on the registry uh, as a red dot near my house. And, you know, I, I, I found out the subdivision he lived in and, you know, let the residents know, hey, look, in case they didn't tell you, here he is. 
Well, then lo and behold, I did a, you know, I did a story on this guy on my old channel and not on my podcast, just on my previous TikTok channel. I find him on Facebook one day because his name was very unusual. It had, he didn't have a normal, you know, like there wasn't no norm. Like we have, like you can tell down here in Louisiana, you have people with certain last names and whatnot. This was like an off the wall last name this guy had. He shows up on my, like people I may know, uh, section on Facebook. I'm like, oh shit. So I click on his profile and I see the, his profile picture. He's, he took a picture into a church that I went to. Like I, I could see like the building, like the background, it looked very similar to, to where I used to go at. So I looked at his friends list and lo and behold, it was a, it was my former pastor and his wife and all these little church leaders that I knew that I was friends with on Facebook. So I immediately text the pastor and I text him the, the article, the sex offender registry stuff and his profile, you know, a snap screenshot of his profile. And I said, Hey, watch out for this guy. This guy's an incest pedophile. Keep the kids safe. You know, I, I, you know, just letting you know. And I'm thinking this pastor did not know about this guy. Cause I, I, in my mind, I'm thinking this man, who's a family man who has five children of his own would not let somebody like this in his church. He texts me back and says, we're aware of his past. The staff and the leadership know about it. And he's being, you know, he's being monitored. That fucking broke my heart. Mm-hmm. And I told him, I said, man, I wish you had, I wish you, you know, I told him, I said, I wish you hadn't have known. And he, he kind of went snapped back at me and was like, what do you mean you wish I hadn't known? Wouldn't you want me to know about somebody like this? And I go, I'm sorry, pastor. What I meant to say was, I wish you hadn't known because had you would have known, you would not allow this monster in your fucking church. And he goes on this whole tyrant on me about, well, doesn't he deserve to be redeemed by the blood of Christ? Doesn't he deserve to find freedom from his sins and everything like that? Doesn't he deserve? I said, look, 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 look. In this day and age, you can go and attend church through a fucking Zoom meeting, okay? Flat out. You actually you actually put your church sessions online. Why, you know, the fact that you that you're allowing a pedophile, an incest pedophile in the church, in the same building where you have families at, where you have children's at, where you have children run around at and everything like that is unacceptable. You know, this guy, if, if you actually go and research the psychology of and, and, and the fact that grooming is not just for children, parents, families, society can be groomed by, by a pedophile. Okay. For your listeners that don't know that. How many times have you ever heard somebody being accused of something and go, oh, no, not that guy. Oh, man, Jimmy's a great guy, you know, or Sammy's a great guy. No, he would never do nothing like that. That's effectively grooming to an extent. I know it's very kind of in a nutshell. No, because but, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, if people remember, what was it, two years ago, the former uh, CNN producer, John Griffin, Oh, yeah. Was grooming families to let him have sex with their kids to teach them sexual, you know, uh, these sex classes and saying that was okay and paying them $20,000 and $40,000. Yeah. This is how they do it. They, I mean, they prey on single women that have kids. Oh, well, you know, I'll pay you $40,000. I'm going to teach your kids how to do this and do that. You know, yeah, and, and, it, and it and it always starts with them testing the waters. 
you know, it's with jokes, it's with conversation, it's with filling out what's going on because they had there's certain criteria that that and each pedophile is different, right? In their criteria, but there's certain you can see certain consistencies in 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 the, in the victims and everything like that, like their life, their, their their background, their way of life, things of that sort of nature. Um, one thing they look for is 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 their turmoil, is their tra- is their trouble in with their parents, right? Are their parents arguing? It, do, do they have a single parent in the home, right? Because if there's a single parent in the home, well, guess what? That parent's working all the time to support the kids. So they don't have time to really be focused on, to be nosy and to be focused on what their kids are into because they're too busy trying to pay these fucking bills that we all have. Um, They try to see if the kid's a loner, you know, that the kid's quiet. Will the kid keep a secret, right? They'll trust them with a minute secret and see, make sure the kid don't say anything. And it'd it'd be something somewhat controversial, but if they get caught, it's like, Oh, you know, I didn't mean it like that. You know, Oh no, 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 no. That that, that was just a joke. I'm sorry. It was inappropriate. My bad. If they get caught, they can kind of brush it off and, you know, and, and then go find somebody else. Right. Right. Uh, is there a strong male figure in the household? Is there a violently strong male figure in the household? Because a pedophile is not going to take a chance with a with a father who is violently protective of their children. They just will not. They act, uh, there's actually been re- interviews where they where they say like, "No, nah, I, I was scared. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna mess with a kid that's got a dad that's especially one that could kill me." But. And they, so they have all these little red line markers and everything like that. And it's important for parents to know what goes on and the psychology behind, you know, what you tell your kids as well. Teaching your kids. So like down here in the South, etiquette, respect is a big thing. It's an ego thing, really, to be honest. Um, if you have children that like they don't want to go hug a certain family member, don't go fucking make them hug your hug uncle so-and-so or grandma so-and-so and everything out of pride and ego. Let your child have choice over their body, okay? Because you're subconsciously telling your child they have no choice. And a pedophile is going to prey on that. Um, other things, too, as well, like what not to say to your kids. One thing I, I've, I've learned from reading Why Gary Why by, by Jody Ploche, Gary Ploche's son, who was, also a, uh, who was also a sexual assault advocate for like two decades now. Um, he, he said that, and it, this changed my whole mindset too on, on what I tell my nieces and nephews and anybody that's like any child that's close to me in my life. Do not tell your children that if somebody harms them or somebody molests them or rapes them or anything like that, that you're going to go kill that motherfucker. And this is why. Let's just say there's two reasons. One reason, let's just say that what if it's a friend of the family? What if it's their friend? Like Jeff Doucette, the guy that raped Jody Ploche was was actually Jody's friend. Jody was conditioned to be friends with this guy. And Jeff was also a family friend of Gary and June uh, Ploche and everything like that. So Jeff was a good friend. What if this is like their uncle or their grandpa or an aunt or somebody or a cousin or somebody close to them? In their mind, subconsciously, they know that if they tell on that family member that daddy is going to go kill that family member. That that person, that basically they're sending that person to their grave. The flip side of that as well is, too, if they tell and daddy goes and kills somebody, daddy's going to jail. And they'll never be able to see their daddy again. Some kids will learn to accept the abuse so they can keep their parent in their life. And that's powerful. I don't care who you are. That is powerful psychology right there. 
So parents, I tell any of you parents, do not tell your kids that shit. It's important for them to also know how to identify their body parts by the proper names. Don't say JJ and hoo-ha and pecker and de- tallywhacker and all these other names. Call it a penis. Call it a vagina. Okay? Call it an anus. Call whatever you want as, as, as soon as you can for your kids or at the age that you think that they are, that they should learn these terms. I'll also tell y'all that for a, for a pedophile, the, uh, the prime ages that they offend against children is between the ages of 6 and 13. So while I don't say that, while I'm not going to sit here and tell parents you should teach your kids all these sex parts at the age of six, if you feel that if you feel that that's not comfortable to teach them that, then don't. I understand, but you should also know that pedophiles will go, at, you know, on average, will go after a child as young as six years old. However, though, I've heard cases where kids have been raped at the age of three months old. So take with that what you want, as you will. Just sickening to think that you know. Yeah, that's a fucking baby. I mean, let alone just kids in general, but to a fucking I've seen one where it was a one month old baby. Oh, man. I I mean, there 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 is a a snuff porn industry and a child porn industry where they have actually had babies being birthed like they they would take women and put them in these and usually they're they're victims themselves that have been through the these sex trafficking rings. Um, being basically used as cattle, breeding cattle, and they would take these babies. I mean, within minutes of being born, and rape these kids. Okay, so, that's it's. Hey, I know I'm 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 I meant to put a trigger warning for for anybody. No, I, I mean um, it's fine. It's just it's just it, just trying to sit there and comprehend. That's just yeah. fucking just so disgusting. That's why I'm so angry, and that's why I am very much about killing these these some bitches. Now, I don't condone vigilante justice for the terms of service that Spotify uh, puts out and their rules and everything like that. I'm not con- I'm I'm just saying hypothetically, Spotify. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you know, just hypotheticals here. Um, some of us say "fuck around and find out." That's that's the kind of motto I like to live by, and you know. If I ever see it, that's it's going to happen because I much rather go sit in prison before those motherfuckers ever do. Yes, I will say the uh, the corporate uh, for those who go to work and want to say fuck around and find out the HR friendly version of that is going to be test your you can test your assumptions about me at your earliest convenience. So that's just a fun, that's that nothing to do with what we're talking about, what what I do, but that's just a fun fact for y'all to use. But back to that church case, though. Um, so me and this pastor go back and forth and everything like that. And I started grilling the pastor then. I said, now, I, I, when I, so when he told me that the leadership and the staff knew, I said, okay, what about your congregation? Does your congregation know? And he said, no, they don't. And I said, well, why the hell not? And he told me, and I'll quote you this. This is why I've been very leery because my – because." I hate to say this, but there is corruption that does. I mean, corruption goes on everywhere in this country. And I don't think Livingston Parish is above reproach when it comes to corruption either. But we have an ADA that go, that that serves for Livingston Parish, goes to that church, and they advised this pastor to not speak on this man's crimes because it would be in the realm of harassment. Apparently, 
these people that don't know that this man's an incest pedophile is supposed to go somehow look up his charges online to see if he's an incest pedophile. Um, I've actually talking, I've talked, I've, I've spoke to a former youth pastor of mine about this subject because it really bothered me. And, and the youth pastor I talked to, I grew up, you know, listening to him, believing him and following him because he was a good man of God and he still is. And he was shocked and horrified when I told him about this. And I'm like, dude, this happens everywhere. And he was like, you know, Jeremy, this, I, this never happened in any church I ever went to. Like we never had any of these kind of situations. I mean, you, you know, the church that went, went, went you know, that we were at together and everything like that, you know, that this never happened. I mean, I, I never had any case like this. And I'm telling you from, you know, God's honest truth on that one. I said, Oh yeah, I believe you. Cause we never had anything. This heinous happened. That's why I felt like I was fortunate growing up in Christianity like that. But um, I couldn't believe what this pastor was telling me because all because of this perfectionist redemption mindset that Christianity has forced upon its people that they believe that everybody can be redeemed. Everybody can be forgiven. And while that can be a true statement in itself, do you really want to chance these pedophiles, these monsters, these rapists, these molesters uh, near your children? Because the studies have shown that once they start offending, they will not stop. The average pedophile has 70 victims in their lifetime. That's the average. That means there are some that haven't had as many as 70. And that means that, that there are some that had way more than 70. So I want to take another couple minutes out and talk to you about the human trafficking going on in this country and around the world. 21 million trafficking victims are trapped and forced into labor and slavery every year. Of those, one in four are under the age of 18. The estimated number of children trafficked around the world is 5.5 million. Now, there's another amazing nonprofit organization. They're a 501c3. We want the names. Now, they have a foundation and they have a website, wewantthenames.com. This is ran by Jess and Amy and their team of people that are doing amazing things with this website, this organization, this foundation. They have uh, sexual assault survivors anonymous that you can find more information about on their site moms against maps they also hold events around the country which their next one will be saturday may 6th in el paso texas we the people are fed up with the border crisis protest they also have another one saturday october 7th in washington dc we want the names now, we're trying to get the government to get the investigations and get the arrests of the people who are on the Epstein flight logs. We want the names. We want the arrests. We want the investigations to happen. This needs to happen. We need to shed more light on the human trafficking and the sexual exploitation of our children that's taking place around the world. So please go check out wewantthenames.com. And when you know these facts and figures and statistics, it really changes your perspective on whether or not you should allow these people in churches. Um, I, I told him, I said, you know, 
this really breaks my heart that you would do this because I've sent people to your church. I've sent families to your church. And the fact that they could be sitting next to an incest pedophile who is probably looking at their kids like they're, you know, some sexual delight to him and everything like that. Really, it, 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 it made me cry. It haunts me. It, I was up for about two or three days because of it. I had nightmares over it because I had, I had like nightmares of like finding out that there was kids that got abused by this fucking monster. And it was my friends that I sent there. Like it really fucked with my head. Right. But I know what's going to happen if I go and go out against the, uh, the DA out here and everything like that. And I feel like a fucking coward every single day knowing that, um, you know, it, it, but it's like, you, you got to know when to hold them, when to fold them in your battles. And I could help a lot more people take out more, take down more pedophiles legally than I could in my own hometown and my own parish that I live in. If I went after this one particular case, I know that I can do more harm, that I can do more good than harm. But I've had pastors I've talked to about this as well, and they think that's a load of garbage. That you can't, you know, like, yeah, you you shouldn't speak his charges from the pulpit, but it doesn't mean you can't go to the families individually, right? The people that have kids and talk to them one on one and say, "Hey, this guy, you know, he did a, you know, he's he did a horrible thing, a disgusting thing, and we believe he should have been put in jail for the rest of his life. However, he didn't. He got out, and we want you to know what he did so that you can protect your children." And that way you can keep your kids safe. Another thing that another pastor told me, my old youth pastor told me this, he said, if, if this guy was, was wanting to be forgiven by the blood of Jesus and everything like that, then obviously he has a powerful testimony and he should go and tell his testimony in front of the church. That way the pastor doesn't have to sit there and tell his charges out there. He can tell his own, you know, tell his own story like that. And that way the parents and the family knows. And if those people don't, they have a problem with wanting to forgive him or accept him and everything like that, they can go deal with it on their own terms. That way, everybody knows. Everybody knows to look out for their kids. And he can go on his redemption story and everything like that. Me personally, I'm still the mindset. If you're not going to tell your congregation, then don't let these monsters in your in your church. Absolutely. That's how I feel. Yeah, 100% on that. I mean, to me, like I said, I, we're in the same belief. You know, these people shouldn't be walking the face of the earth. Yes, and very much so. You you have someone like uh, Pope Francis who is continuing to be um, in support of the maps. Oh God! Just because you reassign a name to the pedophiles as minor attracted persons, still doesn't change the fact they are a fucking sick, monstrous pedophile. Yeah. And I'm going to continue to use the term I use, and they are a pedophile. They are a, you know, predator, and they are a monster. And uh, if I see it, or I see someone that is a pedophile, I will use my mouth to fucking let everybody in the in the region know you're a pedophile. Watch yeah. out for them, because these people are not rehabilitated. Everybody wants to think that they can just go turn the switch off or you can uh, chemically castrate them and they'll just stop. There's other ways they can do it. These sick bastards get toys and everything else. 
Yeah. So you're not going to stop it. These people cannot be stopped. You know, I'm of the old school mindset because I was raised by uh, and there's an episode that I did about my grandfather and that my grandfather was a domestic violence survivor. He taught me the old school, old school ways of being a man. And um, I remember growing up, they didn't call them pedophiles when I grew up. They called them baby rapers. That's what they used to be fucking called. Yeah. And then they cha- then they changed it to pedophiles to soften it to soften the harshness of it and everything like that, to make it more acceptable in, in conversation in society. I say, fuck that. Let's just go back to calling them fuckers baby rapers. Cause that's what they are flat out. Now might, now that, that might just be the old, you know, old redneck uh, mindset I have and everything like that. But I think we should, uh, you know, s- screw calling them maps. They're not my, and it, you know, and I'm proud of the gay community as well, because believe it or not, the gay community did not accept that shit at all either. They were like, fuck no. I rem- and I remember when Nambula tried to, I, I saw, I saw TV you know, interviews about this TV, uh, 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 stories about this as well. News stories about this back in the nineties, Nambula tried to go on the gay parades, the gay pride parade marches and everything like that. They, and everything. And like the gay people out there were like, no, fuck no, we're not with them people. They need that. No, they can just go fuck off and die. Um, they were not about that at all. Uh, and, when I talk to people who are from the gay community as well, I'll, you know, there's a good number of them that are survivors of rape and pedophilia. And absolutely, they, they are sickened by this shit just as much. And um, to bring up conservative and, and he said this the other day on one of his lives and he explained, he doesn't support the LGBTQT movement. He said it was hijacked years ago. Yeah push their own narratives and now you know they're wanting to add maps to the lgbtqt flag and they have their own flag and he doesn't support it and he said that's why he's part of the gays against groomers it just they don't yeah. want that shit i've seen that community fracture a lot uh from all this as well and you know because there's different people who are who are in that community now it's not just, you know, liberal people who are gay now. You have people who are conservatives that are gay as well. And they don't always subscribe to this liberal mindset. Um, you know, I I try to be, you know, as centered as I can with people because I want to hear from the from the left side as well. And I do. I listen to them just like I listen to people from the right. I grew up in a conservative household. So, you know, I, I was under this mindset that being conservative, being, you know, Christian conservative was the was the ultimate way of life, you know, uh, pass the Bibles and ammunition, right? Like that was the, that was it. 1955 homemade American pie, you know, apple pie, whatever it is. That was the way of life. And when I got to listen to other people's stories and everything, that wasn't the case. They didn't grow up with that same type of America I grew up with. You know, I grew up in a veteran home. I grew up in a, you know, like I say, conservative veteran Christian home, you know, that was very much pro second amendment, which I still am. That's one thing that, people on the left will never convince me of is to be uh, anti second amendment. I'm sorry to disappoint any, any of my followers or listeners on that point. And I've, I've made it very vocally too with people like I will never be anti-conservative and I'm glad to see that there are liberals out there that are realizing that how tyrannous a government can be. You need your firearms as well. You yeah, know, and that's the thing about the second amendment that uh, people just don't realize it's not about, our politics yeah it was the fact that it was a it's a god-given right to self-defend to to be protected whether that's 
from your government or from just someone else trying to attack you, you have that right to protect yourself. Yeah, I mean, you can can throw out the political aspect of, oh, well, that's just right wing extremism. No, that's just fucking common sense that we should be able to have the right to protect ourselves, period. You know, I I know a lot of anarchists who are very much pro Second Amendment, uh, you know, are very much pro gun. And um, I'm going to tell you flat out, I've heard this phrase before and a lot of people on the right have heard this phrase. and And I've told this to let people on the left, you know, the reason why. You have a First Amendment is because of the Second Amendment. You have free speech because of guns. So you better fucking protect the, uh, the fact that you can own firearms. What people do with firearms, it's a, it's a tool. It can be used for something that's constructive or it can be used for something that's destructive. It's what the person decides. And there's so many different, you know, whiskey drinking sessions. I can go on with that. Um but I'm, yeah, that's one thing that nobody could ever really convince me on is to, is to be anti-gun. Uh, so I, I will never give up my firearms. I'm very much kind of like Charlton Heston in a sense, you know, you got to take it from my cold dead hands. Absolutely. Um, if I could, if I could afford a fucking tank, I would have a tank. I'd be like master P old, own, owning a gold tank in my front yard. Okay. <laughs> that's just, how, that's just how pro that's So to make it clear for anybody on here, you know, uh, but I've also, my mindset has changed on different things over the years on different, on different policies. That's why I can't be completely conservative because of the fact it's like the, when when it comes to politics and everything, it's like, you got to toe, you got to be all the way in on one side or all the way in on the other. And I can't be for, I, I can't go all the way on, on either side. Like it's, there's things I just fundamentally believe in that we should have. And there's things that have been given to us from both sides that, I feel are great to have. Like a lot of people forget that uh, overtime, you know, at your job is from is was actually uh, from from the left. It was from FDR, I think, if I remember correctly. Was it FDR or was it? It was, it was one of the Roosevelt. Yeah, FDR. I mean, it gave us overtime. You wouldn't have overtime if it wasn't for a, for a fucking Democrat, you know. And I blow people. I, I blow conservatives' minds when I think that. And then all of a sudden they go, "Oh, you fucking socialist!" I'm no, I'm not a socialist. I, <laughs> I, 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 I believe in us making our fucking money and everything. And then I have people on the left who think that capitalism is horrible and that we need to have communism. And I'm like, look, you're getting a side of you're you're, you're confusing crony capitalism with capitalism. And that's what a lot of people who want to go communist forget. And the fact that I've heard enough stories from immigrants who were in communist countries and escaped those communist countries to come over here. And the horror stories I heard from that shit that I would never, ever want communism, you know, for any reason whatsoever. You know, uh, now, it's funny that now you have a lot of the ones that are here that have migrated here turn around telling us, hey, this is what's going on. They're trying to turn this into a socialist communistic state. Yeah. Uh, we escaped that shit to come here because it was supposed to be free. Now you guys are doing this. Yeah. You're wanting that. You're, you're basically begging for the chains that we broke ourselves out of is what I hear from immigrants. Right. Escape those places. And, you know, I, I, I do try to have, I do try to sit and listen to their, to the reasonings why and everything like that. And, and, and when they talk about capitalism and everything like that, I'm like, look, you're talking about crony capitalism. You're talking about capital. You're talking about a corrupt version of capitalism where people are using their money and their resources to pay off politicians, to pass laws, to screw over the working class citizens. 
That's not capitalism. That is crony capitalism in a nutshell. And I cannot stress that enough to my friends on the left. You know, um, I, I just, I just can't. And I know that our society are like, just to kind of break off from what I normally talk about, like our economy is fucked. You know, our wages have not, this is where I do agree with people on the left. Like our wages has not kept up with inflation over the years. We have been constantly, you know, because th- there's a reason why they want regulation because I've seen, if you go look at the, the trouble teen industry, that's an unregulated industry. You have people like minimum wage is, is around for a reason because like Chris Rock said, if somebody pays you minimum wage, that owner or that business is telling you, if I could pay you less, I would, but legally I have to pay you this. So this is why you get in this, this wage. So I can understand their viewpoint into wanting some type of regulation and there has to be balance. You can't overly regulate an industry just like you can't not regulate an industry because it can go wild, wild west. It can go very fucking bad. And like, as, as many construction people might hate me for saying this, cause I've been in construction. I know I get it. OSHA does, you know, had to come into play in a lot of the industrial side of, of the workforce because of the fact that people were dying because of that, because of lack of safety. I know I'm kind of rambling different points, Pat and everything like that, but I mean, it's, you know, there's all these different ideas and viewpoints straight is swimming around in my head right oh you're fine and so the reason why osha had to come about was because they were people were just dying left and right all the time and when they started implementing safety uh safety mechanisms and protocols in place and everything like that you started seeing a reduced number of deaths i mean nobody wants to go to work and fucking die that's the worst thing ever for anybody right like i like that would be the worst death possible i think in my opinion like i i, I go and work a job and I go. I can't even go see fucking retirement. I'm, I've wasted all this time on my or on, on my life doing something I don't want to do to get you know to get a paycheck to pay for bills and stuff like that, and then end up just one day showing up working at a job and I die from that fucking job. Nobody wants to die at their job. That's that's so, funny that you brought that up because we had really bad uh, tornadoes coming through our area here a couple of days ago and. We all got stuck uh, in our shelter in place, and we're all standing underneath these rollers. And uh, I work in a big distribution center, so we're out in the center part where it's supposed to be safe. And I'm thinking about all the other warehouse uh, storms that have happened in the past, and everybody's died in them. And I'm thinking, this is the last place I want to fucking die. I'm gonna have. Yeah. I want to. I want a notorious death, but I don't want to fucking die at my damn job. <laughs> Yeah, nobody wants to die. Nobody wants to die in a warehouse. I mean, dude, they, they, if you remember, last, I think it was last year, or the year before, they had a tornado go through a candle uh, factory yeah, that, somewhere. That's right by me. Yeah. So do you remember where they, they were telling all those workers, you need to stay here? And then I think the place like collapsed or some shit and people died up in there and everything like that because they, they were told if you leave and go home, you will be fired. And it's like it was in one of those towns where it was like one of the few places people can get a job at and everything like that that was in their town. Otherwise, they'd have to go take an hour commute to go somewhere. Mayfield, Kentucky. And yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, that's that that's the side of capitalism I hate. You know, it's the fact that they disregard human life. It's, you know, pe- it's profit over people. That's where that's where the workforce really got fucked over for the, the pandemic and everything because people weren't going to take that shit anymore. You know, uh, 
all, all the essential employees, they were like, look, you know, we took in like uh, the service industry, waiters and waitresses and everything like that. They have, they were very undervalued up until the pandemic. And then I got to see just down here how much, and I, and I used to, I, I worked at a restaurant for like all three days and I was like, fuck this shit. Because <laughs> I remember having the most just nastiest fucking people be them, be just so cruel to somebody and treat somebody like a piece of shit because they were a waiter or a waitress. And you got to think people in that industry that they were in it for years and years and years. And then you get this, like this chance to be at home with your family for like six to 800 bucks a week, more than you ever make working that shitty job. People took that opportunity. I don't blame them in that sense. And then we got to see who was really valuable and who really wasn't. When you slow down, you know, when, when they slow down this economy and when they put it to almost a grinding fucking halt, you got to see that, uh, even those people that work those jobs that you deem fucking lesser than yourself, how important they really were. And you got to see all the Karens on Facebook bitch about it all the time and everything like that as well. And, and I, I'm like, well, treat your wait staff better. You know, I'm, yeah. I, I, I had a grandmother that was a career waitress. I was always taught, you know, to treat them, treat them with respect and dignity because they're somebody's mother or somebody's father and brother and sister. And, you know, there's, there's somebody that's somebody. Yeah. And, and that's the thing with the with wait, being a waiter and waitress. I mean, you're only making two to three dollars an hour plus your tips. Yeah. And now they've weaponized the IRS with their 87,000 agents. They're going to come after the waiters and waitresses to make sure they claimed every damn dollar. I mean, that, that that's what I have a problem with government, period, whether it's left or right. These motherfuckers yeah. don't care about the people in this country. They're more worried about what they can get out of you and then they can take your tax money and send it off to Ukraine so we can support another fucking country and pay for their retirement and their 401ks and drain ours. Yeah. That shows you just how much this government cares about you. And if you think that they're going to change, they're not going to change until we make them change. Exactly. Unfortunately, it might have to be a violent, fucking way to make them change I, I i don't want to see all this fall apart but man the way it's looking it looks like it's gonna fall to fall apart one day um it's just the way it is you know i've always had a problem with uh the politicians having a different social security having a different uh, health care plan than people who are on government health care right like our retirees uh they should be on the same plans we are on flat out point blank like they don't need to get a specialized uh, healthcare plan and specialized pension and shit like that. They need to get the same government pensions that all these other people having to live off social security. I guarantee you they'd make a lot. I, if they, if they had to retire on what we have to retire on and everything like that, they would change that fucking shit really quickly. And, and I said, in in the last previous shows I've been doing that, you know, let when they are voting for this, that just goes to show you let's reverse that let's be transparent why don't we have a third party group come in and let's see the the transparency of their bank accounts and then every every year we have a vote do they get a pay increase or do we give them a pay decrease and i could bet you some of that should have come to an end 
Oh, yeah. Oh, if we could vote for a pay decrease on them. Oh, bro. Oh, man. Yeah. I guarantee you everybody. On, so everybody on the left uh, or everybody on the left would vote for the pay decreases on the people on the right. Everybody on the right would pay for the pay decreases on the left. And they would really have to start working the fucking gather. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, on, on this two party political bullshit system, because they're all friends. Like people don't understand the, these people. The, somebody told it best to me about politics. That politics is Hollywood for ugly people. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, that's all this is. I mean, they have these backdoor deals. They shake hands with each other. They're all friends. They do. They do all these stories in, in, in the news for 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 clout for show. It's it's a it's a it's a what, what's the phrase? Dog and pony circus. A dog yeah. and pony show. That's all this is. And as I said, with the with the State of the Union that they just did, I mean, it's all political theater. They yeah. want you to they want you to be ripped on one side and ripped on the other and everybody go at each other. It's all about division while they're in their back back rooms making backdoor deals with all the lobbyists and the corporations to continue to keep you uh, pissed off, consumed, uh, divided by hate, divided by whatever else they can come up with at the at the moment. And and we continue to run this this circus with them. And it's like. Why don't we all stop, come together, and come to the realization that they're they're playing us? Well, that we did uh, during COVID. We start once we stopped running in this rat race that we're in. Mm-hmm. Once we stopped uh, realizing how fucked we really were, and we got to looking around, and then we got to start talking to each other online, and like, oh man, y'all are fucked too. Yeah, we're getting fucked over here too. Holy shit! And then we started coming together, and then that's why they're scared of TikTok as well. TikTok, oh, yeah. they're not scared about the Chinese fucking bullshit that they that they want to say about TikTok. I mean, hell, all, most of our jobs and everything, most of our manufacturing jobs and everything went overseas to China. They're so they're so balls deep into them, it's unreal. So, but but all of a sudden they're scared of a social media platform that they've well, made. Like, give me a fucking break. Let, they let, uh, let me let, let me stop you right there real quick. Okay, now, stop me right here. I, I don't I don't know if how much you know about the founding fathers. But this country was created in all the taverns. In Boston, all the way up the East Coast, they had a tavern every mile. Now, George Washington and Samuel Adams, of course, the reason why Samuel Adams named for the beers, because, you know, the taverns. And there's one called the Green Dragon Tavern in Boston. It's a very well-known uh, small tavern. It was where our country was basically founded because they would all meet up there and have drinks and they would discuss what they were going to do. Now, in correlation to what's going on with TikTok and all these social media apps, these are our taverns and they have figured it out that this is where we're all meeting and we're all discussing and planning and trying to bring out the truth. That's why they're wanting to shut TikTok down and they want to censor everybody that's talking about stuff they shouldn't be talking about. Yeah, what or what they think we shouldn't be talking about. Correct. Yeah, that is completely true. Because I mean, TikTok I've seen can unite us has has united so many people so quickly, and we get to basically we're unplugged from that so you know that 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 media news propaganda machine that they have from both sides. We're on TikTok, and we're getting to see how you know how screwed over both sides are really getting. And it, it, it's amazing. It, look, it's an amazing platform, in my opinion. There's so much I've seen and learned on TikTok, and not just from the 
survivor trauma world and everything. I mean, my old channel that the old the, the old profile I used to have and everything. I mean, I learned so much damn shit on there. It was unreal. I didn't think I could learn so much in three minute videos and everything like that, but I did. And hell, they got they got a guy who who makes honey mead on on TikTok. <laughs> okay, he just teaches people how to make honey Viking honey mead on TikTok. Man, it's freaking like just simple things like that. And you know, when when we start talking about the important things in life and everything, we can all come together a lot quicker, a lot faster than even Facebook can. And it's it's just I don't know. It's it's a unique feeling. It's a great feeling, in my opinion, of unity. Absolutely. And a lot of people can unify. That's what I, the, the reason why I also love my labor of love too is because, you know, this is, you know, what I talk about is not a left or a right issue. It's a human issue. And it's a rallying cry issue that a lot of people can, can get behind. And so you'll see me talk about, uh, you know, uniting the tribes and everything in my videos on TikTok as well. I'm, I'm, you know, because the tribes are growing and they are uniting. You know, uh, um, for your for your listeners that are on TikTok and everything, you'll see me talk about, uh, about a group of people called the Bonemen. And I explained in an episode of mine what the Bowmen were, because I feel like there's these three main tribes in the survival world. You got Bowmen, Healers, and Wolves. And the Bowmen are like these street preachers. They're the ones that are shouting this message. You know, hey, don't harm the little ones. I gleaned that concept from a tradition from Mardi Gras. Now there's a, I think people saying it, the research I've done, it's either a hundred year old tradition or a 200 year old tradition, but it started in the Treme in the French quarter, uh, the heart of the French quarter out there by the, by the North shore bone and skull gang. We call them the bonemen. They would on Mardi Gras Monday at four or 5 AM in the morning, they would, parade in the streets making all kind of noise and racket and they would say you better be living right or the bowmen will get you and then everybody would have their two days of debauchery and drinking and alcohol and all this other good mess and celebration and everything and you know ash wednesday would come around everybody go ask you know go ask god for forgiveness that's that's essentially mardi gras in a nutshell right but i i I love that concept though you know you better be living right or the bowmen will get you and it stuck with me so I made it my message, you know, don't harm the little ones or the bowmen will get you because once this message is falling on deaf ears then it's just time for action after that point. And you have your healers. These are the people that go and try to help survivors, try to help victims and, and help them on their healing journey. You got a lot of people who are like that. You got like, um, what's that one? Uh, that mama channel, uh, goes by shoe lover, but it's something else. Mama tot. Yeah, very much a healing lady, in my opinion. Um, some historical examples of healers in my uh, that that I felt to me personally are like Bob Marley and Bob oh, yeah. Ross. You know, Bob Ross was a twenty-year veteran of the military, and he wanted to heal people through his painting. And what and a fun fact about him, which y'all didn't know, was that over the years, somebody did like a slideshow of his paintings on his shows and everything, right? He was painting the same scene at different seasons. Like it, it was really weird. Like it, like I, I've seen that. I wish I could have saved that fucking video because it was an amazing, beautiful like piece that somebody took a lot of time and effort to make. But 
I, and, I didn't really think of think of it that way that he was painting the same scene different seasons, huh? Yeah, like it was it was very small incremental gradual changes. And like when you put them on a slideshow and you run them at super fast speed and everything like that, all the finished works that he did, it was basically like you could see the the spring, the winter, you know, the, the spring, the summer, the fall, the winter, and the same scenery over and over. I mean, it was just like holy shit. And he did that for years. He'd pick a scene and he would just paint it through the seasons. And once it got to the end of the season or whatever, he'd paint another. I mean, it was multiple sets he did that with, but I was like, holy shit, dude. I, you know, and then you got uh, Mr. Ro- you know, you got Mr. Rogers. You got uh, Bob Marley. Bob Marley was an individual who wanted to heal the world through love. You know, he, he even said it best, like those who want to make this world a bad place, never take a day off. So why should I? And this was after like he got shot and everything like that from for and people wanted to prevent him from doing one of his concerts to unify people. Like, I mean, just a healer in my instance, you know, my in my in my opinion. And then you have then you have the wolves. The wolves, in my opinion, are the people like the Chris Hansons of the world. They're the ones who are protecting the little ones by going out there, working in the shadows, finding these monsters and exposing them. And getting them caught, getting them captured, get, getting letting the world know, hey, this one's a monster. Don't don't trust your kids around this one. That's the three main tribes of people I've seen. Now they all got different names. They all have different, you know, organizations and everything like that. But they all have this. All of them and all of us in this world have this one common goal: to protect children. And it warms my heart when I got on TikTok and found that. So I consider myself a bone man. I consider myself somebody who's using his voice to say, hey, there's a problem. Hey, don't harm the little ones. Hey, watch out for this one here, here, and here. And look, I don't, I'm not successful all, all the time with it. And I fail every day. And I get up every day and keep pushing my message out there because that's what you do. You just keep pushing. You keep moving. You keep moving forward. And, you know, it's just, it's great to have people like you and, uh, you know, groups like Change Unchained, We Want the Names, One's Purpose, the the uh, Wolf Project, to be out here bringing the light about all the things that are going on with the sexual predators, the trafficking, uh we just need to have more people step up and, you know, that's part of what I'm doing with the podcast is I'm, I'm going yeah. to promote, I'm going to promote you. Like I said, on my link tree, I've added your podcast to it. Thank you. Uh, I've got change Unchained. We want the names one's purpose. The more we can get more people on board, the more I'm going to promote them. And hopefully we all tie this shit together. And then just as one big force, we can, we can make a real big difference to protect the kids even more. Yeah. One of the things I want to do with this podcast was to support small businesses. Now, if you have a small business, please get in touch with me. If you want to be promoted and supported by this podcast, you can go to renegades rant podcast at outlook.com. I will support your podcast. Just get with me and we can work out something Uh, I'm not looking for a payment. Uh, If you want to donate, I'll take donations. If you have gear and products, 
I will make a deal with you for gear and products. Uh, but I want to support your business. I want to be able to get you out there. I want to be able to get people to come view your products. So if you would, please just contact me there. Now, I'm supporting a business right now. It is PatriotFishingGear.us. It's ran by Donnie, and he has a lot of amazing products. Go to his site and go and take a look at his shop. He has hats, beanies, tumblers. He does a lot of custom work, and the tumblers are really awesome. They have uh, some 1776 tumblers, some Don't Tread on Me tumblers, the Patreon... Patriot Fishing Gear logo, tumblers, uh, some really amazing products. So please go check them out, PatriotFishingGear.us. Because I think, I think, you know, I don't think we're all scattered out or shattered in this fight. I think we all have just different roles that we play and that, you know, that, that we, there are roles that we fulfill, not play, because this is not a game. This is, this is life. And like I, I, I support, Two Patriot Mom, you know, two A Patriot Mama and, and Troy and them over there because I believe in what they're doing and I think what they're doing is a great thing. Um, we want the names. I, that was uh, Living Right, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's um, a, yeah, a, yeah. A, I love, I love her to death. Uh, me and her are mutuals as well as well as two A Patriot Mama and all that. And I haven't really, you know, like I told you, I, I haven't gotten to talking to her a whole lot and everything because you know everybody gets busy and whatnot but I've, I've talked to amy a little bit before as well you know me and her both are you know from louisiana and uh so we have that common value you know we have that, that that commonality with us right there we both love protecting children um I, I you know me and her have talked privately a little bit and i love what she's doing i love her content as well uh and i, 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 I and, and i was surprised to see that she was on your show and everything that's why i was like i was like Friday night when I was at the gym, I was like, well, let me go, let me start checking out your podcast. Cause I'm, I, I get so bad about like, I love that people are doing podcasts. There's uh, just so many people. <laughs> yeah. There's, yeah. Everybody's got one now. And, and it's, I'm glad they do. It's not like, it's like, Oh, now yo, you got a podcast. Oh, big whoop. No, I'm glad people got one. They need to, they need to talk about what they're passionate about. And then when I saw like living right was one of your guests and everything, I'm like, Holy shit. Yes. Let me go listen to that one. Then, then you got two, you know, you got Patriot mama on, on the episode above it. I'm like, fuck, I need to catch up. So now I got more content to listen to when I'm driving. <clears throat> and I mean, I, I love it, man. I love that, that, that we all have, you know, that me and you both have friends who are mutuals in this world as well. And I'm glad I've got to meet you. And I, uh, I you know, I, I think I know who it was. If I remember correct, it was freshy, fresh, uh, uh, oh, yeah. fresh effect uh yeah. or fresh hitmon you know conflict ip conflict yeah um fresh like i'm gonna tell you it with her she knows everybody and their mama on tiktok okay and every time i get every time i see that she's on a live i try to go catch her for a few minutes and everything like that because i love what she does she's so upbeat and uplifting and positive and just uh just this ray of sunshine up on up on that platform you know and uh, I love that she she's one of those people that connect everybody together, you know, yeah, and connect. I mean, just that's what I love very for sure. Yeah, and I've I've gotten to know her as well, and just she's an amazing person. I hope you have her on the podcast if you haven't already. I need to go. If you have, I need to go yeah, listen to that episode. We haven't got I haven't gotten that far with uh with that the I'm planning on getting more and more people uh for guests. So hopefully throughout the year I can. I can eventually have her on. Um, 
But you're from Baton Rouge. Yeah. So let's let's talk about your area for a moment. So, uh, you know, I find it interesting. A lot of the serial killers are from down there because I'm huge into like crime and stuff like Derek Hodley yeah. and Russell Elwood and Sean Gillis, Henry, Lu- uh, Henry Lee Lucas, Ronald Joseph, uh, Dominique. It's just Man, very... we got that many. Huh? We got that many down here in Louisiana. I like, like Derek, Derek Todd Lee was the most famous one that you, that you, that you labeled off for me. Um, yeah. uh, there's like, there's 50, I think 10 or 15 that are down there that are like very prominent for, you know, being serial killers. Yeah, or just the 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 highlights of the ones I know about because I I watch shit on them all the time. But yeah, I mean, growing up in an area down there with with that kind of activity going on, because see, I'm in little the little part of Kentucky. I lived in Evansville, Indiana. I grew up there all my life, and it was it's just right across the bridge from there. But yeah. we we didn't really have that. We didn't have serial killers here. We had some that have come through here. Now we've had a lot of gangsters that have come through here, like uh, Al Capone and and Dillinger, but we've never had serial killers that we know of. I mean, but, we had, yeah, New Orleans had Carlos Marcellus. You know, uh, he was yeah. he was the Godfather of New Orleans. I mean, and he had a big Dixie Mafia down here, and I mean, those guys scattered all over. I so I didn't grow up in Baton Rouge. I grew up in a town called Hammond, Louisiana, about forty miles east of Baton Rouge. In the next parish over, uh, like so, Baton Rouge has two parish, or Baton Rouge is uh, East Baton Rouge Parish, and then where I live at is just east of, uh, just outside of Baton Rouge, uh, in Livingston Parish, and then I grew up in Tangipahoa Parish, um, and Hammond was the biggest city for Tangipahoa Parish. Uh, that's where I grew up at. I moved out here when I met my wife, and we got married and everything like that. Yeah, Derek Lee Todd. I'll actually tell you a fun fact, or, or not, a, not a funny, kind of a funny story about that, about that case. Um, the reason why I knew about it so much was because when they were looking for the suspect, they were looking for a white guy, an old white guy. At that. Yeah. <laughs> I remember my uncle Jack was uh, matched the matched the description of, of who they were looking for. Oh shit. He had a, yeah, I think it was a white pickup truck they were looking for as well. So you got this old older white guy with a white pickup truck that matched exactly what they were looking for and everything. They, they took his ass out that truck. And I mean, they, they threw him around like a fucking rag doll. Okay. And, uh, come to find out, you know, he was clean and everything like that. And then they come to find out who Derek Lee Todd was. And they were like, Holy shit, you know? And, um, Woody Overton actually covered a case where this guy named Gerald Bordelon, uh, raped and killed his stepdaughter. I think it was either yeah, his stepdaughter and everything like that. And it was Caitlin Adele. And they were looking for her in the swamps and everything like that. Because there's some parts in Livingston Parish that's real swampy-like. And down in the south part of the parish. Um, and so they were having this huge manhunt for her and everything like that. Well, they ended up finding out that it was Gerald Bordelon. He was the first guy, I think either, I know in Louisiana, I don't know if it was for the country, he wanted to skip the whole, uh, you know, the process, the court of appeals process for the death penalty that he got. He said, just fast track me to the, to the death row. I want to go like after he got sentenced, it was like, I just want to go next week. And they were all fucking stunned. The ACLU actually stepped in and prevented him from, from facing his execution for like four years. And see, and I think, 
I think in, in that situation, they should have what would be like back in the old day where they had quick trials where they yeah. took you in, they tried you that morning, and then by noon, you're out in the middle of fucking town square and they hung your ass. Yeah. So here, so here's where it's connected to Derek Lee Todd, though, with Gerald Bordelon. They were cell, they, they, they were on death row next to each other in different cells. Like they were next door neighbors. Gerald, uh, Derek Lee Todd, for as heinous as he was, those guys, those convicts, you know, in Angola and everything like that, hate fucking pedophiles as well. So when they found out what Gerald Bordelon's charges were, every day, every fucking day, Derek Lee Todd, for like 23 hours a day, was sitting there torturing Gerald Bordelon every day. Man, you need to go fucking kill yourself. Fuck you, you fucking chomo, you fucking baby raper. Man, if I ever get out this motherfucker, I'll do the world a service just for you. You bitch, you punk ass, you know, like all these different things. Every single day. So he had no peace whatsoever. And this was from Derek Lee Todd, you know, the guy who was killing, I think he was killing like old ladies and stuff like that. No, he was like killing people he is killing like anywhere between like girls just in college up to like. I thought he was. I, I thought he was the one that was killing elderly people too out here because there was a guy that did that too. I think he killed like. Yeah, killed- I think they were trying to tie him to the older ones to the yeah to yeah, older yeah. Ladies, but it never came back uh, to him for that because he had a certain. Uh, way he did things and uh it it didn't yeah. square up and then the dna didn't match match anything yeah that, that was Cause I, yeah because i was a teenager when that when that happened so i mean i barely remember that a lot but uh yeah because i was going to ask you too because i tried to ask you through the live and i was down in the in the troll hole as they say yeah i was trying to ask you about it but there's a case uh uh being investigated by uh Rody sanchez and his partner, Aubrey St. Angelo, they had a show on Discovery called Killing Fields. And they were looking into the 1997 case of Eugene uh, Boyfontaine, if I'm saying it right. No as an LSU, LSU grad, and she was, I guess, taken from her home, and then she was never seen. Supposedly, she went to the Whiskey uh, Whiskey Bay, to the Alligator uh, oh yeah, whiskey bay over there by, by the uh, Chafala Basin over there. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah that's about road. Yeah, uh, well, they, they got found whiskey... her body not too far from the from the bar, but they at first they thought it was Derek Toddley, but uh, when they did the DNA and everything, it didn't it didn't come back to him. But so it's still an open investigation, and he's like an older. Older detective, he was retired, and it had been bothering him all his life that he was never able to find the killer, and so they made a show about it, and they they thought they had the guy, but they couldn't get any evidence on him, so, you know, they just kept investigating the same guy over and over again, but nothing ever yeah. came of it. I, yeah, that, that uh, you're talking about 97, I was 10 years old at that time, mm-hmm. so no, I don't remember, a lot of these cases I don't remember, I, I just remember Derek Lee Todd, he was the most prolific one that I can remember. Um, well, Roy Sanchez, they, he came out of retirement like eight years ago, and they tried to go back on the code case and try to work it again and, and work the work the scene again, but they, they weren't able to, uh, you know, go anywhere with it as far as I know. 
Yeah, the murder murder cases I haven't really dug a whole lot into, um, unless it happened to children or something like that. But uh, I don't know all of them. There's so many of them down, and and you know I didn't I didn't even know that there were that many serial killers that came out of Louisiana either. Like that, that blew my fucking mind right there. Well, but actually, those were the ones I was naming were the ones from Baton Rouge. Holy shit! <laughs> it's like well, I, I'm pretty sure there's some cops I could talk to about it, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, yeah. dude, I. I Man, I, I didn't even know that, dude. I I live around here, and I'm like, holy shit, dude. Uh, my yeah, mind blown I, already. I, I thought it was pretty interesting that there was that many people, because I was doing my research on Baton Rouge not too long ago, and I was yeah. before we before we started talking in the live, because I, I always like to look up stuff on true crime, and there's just a lot of cases down in the Baton Rouge and the uh, New Orleans areas. And, oh, yeah. There's a lot in the Eberville Parish. I mean, that's where the yeah. uh, the the one I was talking to you about was in Eberville. Okay, yeah. So yeah, that uh, Whiskey Bay that's over there. There's on I-10 when you're on the Atchafalaya Basin Bridge, which is basically is part of is part of Interstate 10. It's like an 18 mile long bridge over swamp. So when everybody thinks Louisiana, they if you go there, that's what you'll think of when you when you it, it, that's what you'll see when you think of Louisiana. It's all marshland, swampland, and shit like that out there. Um, a lot of people have the assumption that because I live in Louisiana, I live in a fucking swamp. I'm not Shrek, okay? <laughs> I don't live in a fucking swamp. I live out in the country. Like uh, the, the the more apt uh, way of thinking would be that you know I grew up in the country, like a lot of people did too, as well. We just didn't have no hills and hollers and mountains to grow up in or anything like that. It's all flat land, hot, muggy, the devil's butthole uh, uh, temperature. Uh, down here with mosquitoes that could fucking kill you, I guess. Um, yeah, that type of shit. But uh, yeah, I didn't know that one. I know um, there's a place called Rudock or Ruddock and off of I-55 between Hammond and New Orleans or Hammond and Laplace, which is outside New Orleans. There's an exit on there. It used to be very famous for dumping bodies because there was no cameras. There was no lights. It was mainly because a lot like in Manshack and Rudock and all those little places right there, which is swampland as well, people have like fishing camps, you know, out, out there and everything like that. And they go on those waters and they go either crabbing or, um, you know, hunting for gator or, or hunting or fishing and you know, everything like that or getting crawfish, whatever the case may be. Uh, people would go dump bodies there because no cameras, nobody's around. It's very remote, very quiet place. They eventually start putting cameras and lights and shit like that around there because after they had so many bodies for so many years, it just, you know, they, it lessened that from being a dumping site and everything because you would end up the next day, you'd have a body floating on the, on the water and some, some, you know, nosing, you know, Ned or, or some fisherman would, would come across it. And that's just a little fun fact about that little area down there as well. Yeah, I live right along the Ohio River, and I can tell yeah. you there's hundreds of bodies that are in that damn thing too. Oh but, yeah, there. Uh, uh, I I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, cause so like Baton Rouge, geographically has two rivers on on both sides of it. You have the Mississippi River on the west side of it. On the east side, you have the Amite River or Amite, as people that don't know how to pronounce it. Um, and you got to cross bridges in order to get to you know through either side of uh, of Baton Rouge. Um, We didn't realize how important those bridges were 
uh, until or or that they were bridges until we had like a hard freeze about back in twenty about almost ten years ago. We had all our roadways closed down because we can't handle snow down here like y'all like y'all northerners can. <laughs> uh, we don't have we don't have salt trucks. We don't have you know we we don't have that shit down because we don't fucking snow down here. It's like once every seven years I think we snow, and that's it. And like the last time was like twenty seventeen was when we had snow down here. So, I mean, it's like, it, it never snows down here and our bridges ice up very badly. And of course people don't know how to fucking drive here as well. So you start getting a few accidents, they shut down the bridges and you can't do shit out here when they shut down those two bridges. Um, it, it, it was like, I was stuck on the other side of the, uh, uh, in Baton Rouge trying to get into Livingston Parish and I couldn't and driving a truck all day everything was bumper to bumper traffic because everybody was trying to get the fuck out and they couldn't, they couldn't go home. Bad day. I know nothing to do with this podcast interview at all. Just a, just a side story. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've never been to Louisiana, but uh, I would like to, I like to come down there at some point because I'd really like to, I'm a historical person. So I'd like to come down there and, go through the historic areas down there i mean the closest uh, i've ever been is jackson mississippi because that's i have uh distant relatives that live down there and that's like my mom's side of the family and i've been down to florida a lot but you know i'd like to go a little bit westward and go more towards you know louisiana and well texas and and explore those areas I, i'll tell you uh new orleans has a lot of history in it and uh, Baton Rouge has some history. I'm not going to say it doesn't, but uh, if you want to really get culture, history, and everything like that, French Quarter especially does. Uh, you know, it's not just Bourbon Street on the French Quarter, <laughs> like I learned. Uh, there's a lot of art, a lot of art places down there, but there's also um, St. Louis Cathedral. You know, you, and you got all the historical landmarks inside the French Quarter as well. You got the Treme, which is a famous neighborhood that that show on HBO made a lot more famous as well. Um, you know, there are people out there playing music, uh, you got all different types of cuisine as well. I mean, it's just, our food here is phenomenal. And that's why we have some of the fattest people ever in this country, <laughs> in this state. Uh, I mean, cause dude, I mean, we, we, we didn't give a shit, bro. We, we, if we can't deep fry it, we're, we're going to figure out how to put it in a, in a stew or a gumbo or something, man. We're going to learn how to bake it or whatever. I don't know. It's, I mean, we eat anything and everything down here and our food is awesome. We know how to, we know how to, we could either smoke it, stew it, gumbo it, fry it up, whatever the case may be. Uh, you won't be like, you'll never leave here saying, man, their food sucks. Like you never hear, I've never heard nobody that that's visited my state say that shit because it's not true. Cause we have so many different cultures down here too. Yeah. Um, you know, the biggest cultures we have, of course, is the, is, uh, it's really not even the Cajun culture that I grew up around. I grew up around, um, the, uh, uh, what you call it? Um, uh, Italian culture a lot. You know, we have, we have uh, a big Italian culture down here. And so, yeah. 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 It's funny because uh, thinking of Mardi Gras is like one of the largest street festivals or is the largest street festival. But in Evansville, we were for a long time, always the second largest street festival next to Mardi Gras. And then when Katrina hit, 
like for two or three years, we were the number one street festival over Mardi Gras. Yeah. And I was like, this will be shit as I mean, we don't even have a French quarter. I don't know. I mean, it's German West Side food is what it is. I mean, it's just all German food. So, so I thought it was interesting that, you know, here we are, Lobias town, and we're out doing Mardi Gras, but it's only on a technicality, but, but yeah. we still, you know, we get a hundred and something thousand people to come up for the, for the fall festival every year. And it's crazy. Oh yeah. And that's when we had game, well, we had people from New Orleans come up here and they, they were selling their gator gumbo and, you know, doing their crawfish and their little their pots and their stews but yeah i mean it's funny how you have these little connections here and there so ending the show let everybody know where we uh we can find you at okay well i am on spotify under a man apart podcast or a man apart um i'm also on tiktok with uh, same the same name, a Man Apart podcast or a Man Apart J Dog. That's how you'll find my channel. I also have a Facebook group called a Man Apart podcast as well. Uh, you can find me on there very easily. I have Instagram and Twitter as well. I don't really, I'm not that active on those platforms, but the most active you'll find me on is uh, TikTok. So if you want to reach out to me, you can leave a comment. You can send a friend you know send a follow on there and say hey i need to talk to you follow me back and i'll dm you and we'll talk and i'm very easy very accessible to get to now as the the, the platform grows and you know time goes on and everything like that i might not be able to be in the future but as far as right now is people can contact me very easily on tiktok and facebook so that's where they can find me awesome i uh really appreciate you coming on the show and if you cannot find him, go to my link tree, and I have him in my link tree under the podcast section. So please go check him out. He's got awesome content, and I will always promote you and continue to promote you, and I wish you the best of luck in growing your podcast. And like I said, I'll, I'll continue to push you out there. All right. Well, with that, all I can tell anybody is, uh, you know, protect all children, even if they're not your own. And the Bowman see, and the Bowman never forget. Love y'all. That's the show, everybody. So good night and enjoy your day. Thank you for listening to the Renegades Rant Podcast. Find the Kentucky Renegade Patriot on TikTok and Instagram, as well as the Renegades Rant Podcast on Pandora, Stitcher, Spotify, Google and Apple Podcast, as well as Anchor.fm.